This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your life coach, your guide on the side. Welcome to the program. This is the show where we give you the tools, the information you need to grow a healthier, happier life. We will review the headlines, but uh, it's really more about what you need to learn about what's going on in the world. Welcome to the morning. This is, uh, boy, it's a, uh, I've got a cold. Can you hear that, Ben? Do you hear that rich, masculine voice of mine? Oh, yeah. This is me feeling bad for you. Wow, you've got a great voice. A lot of vibrato in there. <laughs> I, uh, my chest is tightening. Feels like a raw esophagus. <sighs> Luckily, it's just a three-hour show. Luckily, I make a living talking. Okay, quit singing, Ben. Man, it sounds great, though. Your voice is... Beautiful, incredible range. (laughs) I bet here comes a good part. (sighs) Thank you, Ben. I feel much, much better. (sighs) Anytime. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. It's Friday. Thank heavens. We have a company uh, getaway in the next about uh, three hours from now. And I don't know how I'm going to do it. I'm breaking out in fever. I'm febrile. And that song did cool my heart, but got a lot going on today. Here's the deal. I've got to start with the top of the day. Here we go. Today is Respect Day. R-E-S-P-E-C-T, Respect Day. The Day of Respect, which, I, which is why that song was beautiful, Ben. So respectful. I appreciate it. Now, here's the Day of Respect. Yesterday, Donald Trump went to um, uh, field some questions from his followers, and it created a moment of kind of where Donald could have shown respect. Um, So let's listen to the clip, and let's listen to the clip, and let's find out how we could have handled this better. Okay, this man, I like this guy. Welcome, White Plains. Amen. Okay. We problem in this country it's called muslims we know our current president is one right. you know he's not even an american we need this, first question. this is man. First question. but anyway we have training camps growing where they want to kill us mm-hmm. that's my question when can we get rid of we're going to be looking at a lot of different things and you know a lot of people are saying that and a lot of people are saying that bad things are happening out there we're going to be looking at that and plenty of other things Okay. Trump sounded sane. (laughs) Well, Trump, at the very beginning, he's like, this is the first question. We're starting with this question. But see, this tells us in in our populace, in our nation, we have a spectrum of people, right? Some get up at the very first event. Their very first question to Donald Trump is, when are we going to get rid of the Muslims? Honestly. That is... Just misinformed. Now, I get it. He's afraid of 
you know, people coming here and training against us and then creating terrorist acts. I get that. Well, did you hear about that 12-year-old kid that was, like, arrested for yeah. making a clock? A clock. But they thought it was a bomb. But because he his looks, name was Ahmed. <laughs> yeah. His name's Ahmed and he looks shady. And yet I love that story because Ahmed is now probably going to go to MIT. <laughs> it's what he wanted. He wanted to get to – so one of his things is, yeah, so I've been arrested and it was scary and all that. But I really just – I really want to go to MIT. And anyway, MIT's talked to him now and – Ahmed's going to MIT. <laughs> Attaboy, Ahmed. Um, one of the things about respect, though, is he totally – Donald didn't say anything. He could have defended the president and he didn't. So let me give you a contrast of John McCain answering a very similar question back in his two, 2007 campaign. Listen to how uh, John McCain handled it. He's an Arab. He is not. No, ma'am. No, ma'am. He's a he's a he's a decent family man, citizen that I just happen to have disagreements with. Respect. You got to respect people, even you've got to respect people that you don't agree with. You don't have to respect everything they're saying, but he's a decent human, he's saying he's a. He's a human. If you're a Christian and you believe that people are children of God, you just respect that they're a child of God. And what's so funny is a lot of Donald's followers all believe in God. But we just throw people under the bus left and right. Air quote. Ah, It's maddening. And then, you know, you can win by, I guess, being a great divider. But the great divider in the back of our minds, none of us are going to trust somebody that's a great divider. Whatever you think of John McCain, he at least can respect the president and and say what he is. He's not – our president has never claimed to be, is not a Muslim. And not that that's derogatory anyway. <laughs> That's not a negative anyway. Holy cow, folks. We're in trouble. Today's Respect Day. We're going to teach respect. R-E-S-P-E-C-T. Hate to spell it for you, but that's how you spell it. That's what it means to me. Thank you, Ben. Thank you. Um, big day. But it's interesting. In, in the end, it might end up costing Trump. Some, some are saying that Trump may be losing – some uh, some ground. He actually may be sliding a little bit. I mean, who knows, right? Because are there real polls in any of this? But, you know, Donald Trump got the majority of the time in the last debate because everybody was pretty much headed to try to run him over if they could. Um, I don't know. A lot of people believe that he's starting to lose some ground. And uh, at some point... You know, a lot of people used to have the headlines. Do you remember when Michelle Bachman a few years ago was all over and Herman Cain? Do you remember all that? He was huge. Yeah. But again, I don't – in the end, I just want respect. We can respect our president. We don't need need any of that. We we just don't need it. Let's uh, go to the headlines. And uh, actually, we're going to do a week in review 
with our great friend Kathy Aiken. Kathy? Good morning, everyone. The second GOP presidential debate is in the books and a huge night for CNN on Wednesday, which had its most viewers in history. Most polls show Donald Trump won big with Carly Fiorina in second. One of the best moments came when Fiorina was asked about Trump's recent comments about her face. You know, it's interesting to me. Mr. Trump said that he heard Mr. Bush very clearly and what Mr. Bush said. I think women all over this country heard very clearly what Mr. Trump said. Jeb Bush stood next to Trump, and the two had several exchanges Wednesday night. Jeff, for anybody on, Jeff, this, on this stage. I was a this, businessman. I got along with Clinton. I got along with everybody. Yeah. That was my job, to get along with people. But the I simple didn't wanna, fact is... Excuse me. One second. No. I didn't want to... You good. cannot take... More energy tonight. I like no. that. Look. I was asked the question. I, the third debate is scheduled for October 28th. Before the debate, a New York Times CBS poll showed Ben Carson gaining ground on Trump. Carson has 23 percent of Republican support to Trump's 27 percent. Since the last poll, Carson has seen an increase of 17 points, while Trump has gained just three. In that same poll, Bernie Sanders leads Hillary Clinton in New Hampshire 52 to 30 percent and leads in Iowa as well, 43 to 33 percent. Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell has come up with what he calls Plan B to block President Obama's Iran nuclear deal. McConnell's plan says before sanctions on Iran can be lifted, four Americans jailed there must be released, and they must also recognize the right of Israel to exist. Intelligence analysts have reportedly given investigators documents they say prove senior military officers manipulated reports exaggerating progress in the war against ISIS. The Pentagon Inspector General is looking into the accusations. Eighteen people have died in flash flooding in southern Utah. The victims in Hilldale, Utah, were all mothers and young children in a van and SUV that was swept away. Here's Hilldale Assistant Fire Chief Kevin Barlow. Very dangerous, very treacherous. The banks are caving off. A more significant flood than we've had for quite some time. Obviously, it took them off guard. They were well back from where the flood channel usually is. Seven of the victims were hiking in a slot canyon in Zions National Park when the wall of water swept through. It's pretty much like one of our worst nightmares. So literally, as soon as the rain started coming, um, people started to you know, worry about about the flash flooding in the area. Zion Park Ranger Allie Baltris. Search and rescue teams are looking for two people still missing, one in Hilldale, the other a hiker in the park. A tsunami watch was in effect in Hawaii and parts of the California coast yesterday after a magnitude 8.3 earthquake hit the coast of central Chile. The quake has killed eight people and injured dozens more. One million people have been forced to leave their homes. California Governor Jerry Brown declared a state of emergency after hundreds of homes were destroyed in two fast-moving fires in the northern part of the state. Three people have died as a result of the blazes, which are still not under control. Meanwhile, according to a study from the University of Arizona, the Sierra Nevada snowpack is estimated to be at its lowest level in more than 500 years. When it melts, it gives California nearly one-third of its water every year. Three people died after a float plane in Anchorage, Alaska crashed during takeoff on Tuesday. Seven other people on board were injured, some of them critically. Kim Davis, the Kentucky County clerk who was jailed for not issuing same-sex marriage licenses, returned to work Monday. Davis said she would not stop her deputies from issuing them. I want the whole world to know, be no mistake about it, that if my deputy clerks who do not have my authorization or the authority, they don't have my authority to issue any license whatsoever. I love my deputy clerks and I hate that they have been caught in the middle. If any of them feels that they must issue an unauthorized license to avoid being thrown in jail, I understand their tough choice and I will take no action against them. 
However, any unauthorized license that they issue will not have my name, my title, or my authority on it. Davis said she could not add her name to the licenses because she believes it conflicts with God's definition of marriage. An instructor from Delta State University who allegedly shot and killed his girlfriend and another professor on campus Monday died of a self-inflicted gunshot wound. 45-year-old Shannon Lamb reportedly killed his live-in girlfriend, 41-year-old Amy Prentice, at their home, then drove to the university and shot 39-year-old assistant professor Ethan Schmidt. He pulled off on the side of the road exited his vehicle and went into a wooded area. Uh, There was one gunshot that was heard. That was Cleveland, Mississippi Police Chief Charles Bingham. Authorities believe the shootings may have been related to a possible love triangle. The shooting sent the entire campus on lockdown but was lifted late Monday night. A bus headed towards Fur High School in Houston on Tuesday morning plunged off a freeway killing two students and injuring four others. No details of the severity of the injured have been released. With the Week in Review, I'm Kathy Aiken. Thank you, Kathy. Appreciate it. And, uh, man, a lot gone on this week. It's amazing we survived it. Coming up next, we're going to be uh, talking um, with Dr. Scott Sanders here from Brigham Young University. He's going to walk us through the just the understanding behind poverty, right? We hear all of these politicians talking about the shrinking middle class. We hear... The, the, you know, the need to tax more the upper class. But we don't usually talk too much about poverty. And yet in the United States, 23% of children are born into poverty. And it leaves them at an inherent disadvantage. We'll be talking with a sociologist, Dr. Scott Sanders, about uh, child poverty and what impact that has long-term on all of us. Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, when it's just with the whole political scene, you hear all of the debates. Everybody's always talking about subsidies and handouts and and all of these welfare programs that people are just using America. I mean, in the end, we're paying for it one way or another. And uh, I wanted to to get the inside scoop on what's really going on on, with poverty in the United States um, and also especially infant poverty. Because think about it. If you're a child born into poverty, what are the odds that you're going to eventually pull yourself out of it when you don't have resources, you don't have health, you don't have a good meal, you don't have a tutor, you don't have a lot of basic things that you need to get ahead. So joining us today is Dr. Scott Sanders. He's been on the show before. He's one of our uh, favorite insightful professors here at BYU. He's a professor of sociology. And he researches the effects of poverty and infant poverty. He's here to enlighten us. Scott, thanks, my friend. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me. It's good to have you back. Yeah. We always have interesting conversations because this is, this is one that you could just hear the GOP making a bunch of mistakes on. 
Yeah, and this is one where I think a lot of people they generally most people are good people. Yeah, want, want right. America they to be want strong, to help. Want to help people, and we just a lot of people have misinformation about what poverty looks like. Right, and so when when you, this this research that I've been doing lately, it really helps to change people's perspective and get a better idea of well, maybe the images you thought of poverty were accurate ten, twenty years ago, mm-hmm. but the reality of what we have poverty today is a very different picture, and so we have very very different answers uh, for those problems. When we think about um, poverty, first first define what is the poverty level financially. Yeah. So this is another one of those shocking things. Yeah. Currently, the U.S. poverty line for a family of four is $24,000 a year. Four people, $24,000, $2,000 a month. Yeah. Yeah. Anything below that, you're in poverty. Yeah. And so, I mean, that's not a lot. You think about what what we have to pay for this day and age. Right. $24,000 I mean, for four people, yeah. food. I mean, an apartment could be in this is in Utah, which is a conservative market, is 1200 bucks. Yeah. Yeah. So half your check. Half your check goes well, to three. Your, yeah, more than that. Yeah. Then, and, then, uh, and then you've got to pay for, cut for phones, car, school, transportation. Car, food. Yeah. So it's, it's not a lot of money we're talking kids. about here. Yeah. So, and, and then um, what percentage of the population live below the poverty line? We have about 20% of the U.S. population. And that's been an interesting figure. The census released the 2014 figures of last year's figures, and the poverty line didn't actually move very much. We have about the same amount of people who were in poverty in 2013 as we have Mm. in 2014. Even though jobs have gone up, you know, the economy started to show growth and there's job growth. More people that, that we didn't see any impact on poverty, which is just trying to show that well, maybe people are are, are getting stuck there, mm. or people can't find good jobs, and so they're they're getting frustrated and leaving, looking right. for looking for job employment opportunities. Um, so that was a little discouraging when we got that number. We oh, that's huge! That with the economic growth, we would see at least a, a little bit of a downturn. But doesn't that just mean, Scott, for the average listener that's driving, listening to Sirius XM radio, maybe driving truck, or maybe. Uh, driving their Cadillac or their new car that has Sirius XM. Um, doesn't that just mean that these people just need to try harder? They just need to go get a job. Yeah, and that's that's one of the big uh, uh, misconceptions I would say about poverty right yeah. now. And one thing that really kind of gets me up in the morning to do my research yeah. and, and to do this is that we that's not what it is. We've, I've done some research earlier that looked at uh, people in poverty, and we found that over half of them are working already. So it's not that people 50%. are not go. Don't go out there and pull up your boots bootstraps. It's yeah. like, well, you're already working. You're doing what we've asked you to do. The jobs aren't there. Aren't sufficient to make twenty four thousand right. dollars a year. Like if you're working at McDonald's, that's going to not even make you your twenty four thousand. Yeah, exactly. So poverty in the United States now isn't the panhandler living off of government programs, being lazy, saying, "Well, I make more money getting right. people giving me a dollar here and there." It's the person at McDonald's taking your order. It's a person working really hard in a low wage. Uh, job and it's probably a single mom, right? Most, yeah, single mom, ethnic minorities. They have they're at higher risk of being in poverty, and they see higher rates than than what we see on average. Well, what, Scott, there's plenty of programs. Why don't they just go get an education, and the government will pay for it? Well, that's part of the, the problem. Is is this is what we have, oftentimes it's called the deserving poor. We have people that are working, are playing by the rules. You know, we want an America where people can pull themselves by yeah. the bootstraps. We want that American dream to be alive, but they're not getting it. They're, there's either a social stigma associated with some of the government programs, so I I can't go do that, or it's, I'm going to be considered a deadbeat, so right. I can't engage, or just the 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 the, um, the paperwork that's involved. 
oh, to do this is get flooded. Is, yeah, is crazy. It's it's really really difficult to do. Um, I remember during grad school, we 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 just looked into it because we you know, were poor students. Yeah. We were having a kid. We're both my wife and I are both in PhD programs. We tried filling out three times to get state uh, assistance for healthcare. Yeah, we couldn't do it. My and wife you're two and two PhD, PhD candidates, yeah, and we couldn't do it. We three times we finally gave up because yeah. we're like, well, I can't do this anymore. And if we couldn't do it, all right, what's the likelihood of you know the average family out there that's struggling most likely has a lower education level, right? So there's all these barriers that the poor are facing that we don't see, and we just associate, well, that, that's that deadbeat that sits in the park right. all day. Why should I help them? So if 20 percent of the pop- U.S. population live below the poverty line, <clears throat> a certain percentage of that 20 percent. So let's take that, just that 20%. Maybe 10, 15% really are just deadbeats that don't want to work. You know, I, haven't, I don't know how we can really get at that. Uh, right, but, we can't really sample I mean, I would, the, I, the, the number of people. On right. the, but, but it is certainly a small majority. Somebody is it, just it, trying to live off of the government. It's a small percentage. It's a tiny of it. percentage. Yeah. And, and but, then the rest are struggling moms. Mm-hmm. They're, they're third or fourth, probably generation pover, impoverished. Yeah. And. Don't read well enough to figure it out. Don't know how to get out of the cycle. Yeah, I mean, there's typical characteristics that we'll see: low education, uh, larger families, first child is at a younger age. Yeah, um, female-headed household, ethnic minority. Those are the usual suspects for increasing the likelihood of of being in poverty. So, if you're if you're mm-hmm. one of those, then you're most like you have a higher risk of being in poverty. So, and, and I want that out there. Today is Respect Day, mm-hmm. by the way. And w- one of the things I want out there is. W- if you ever hear the argument that some people just are trying to live off the country or the government, mm-hmm. sure, okay. I'll even give you a number because you, you don't know one. I'm just going to make one up. Yeah. 3%. 3% are just trying to take advantage of the government. But the remainder simply want a life and a better life and they're they're trapped in their own circumstances. You brought up something really interesting that there's pockets around the country yeah. where we have – kind of chronic poverty. Mm-hmm. I'm a, in my mind, I'm assuming the obvious inner cities. Yeah. So you know, inner, bit, inner city, is, the bigger geographically, the bigger areas are what we, you know, Appalachia, Interesting, Mississippi yeah. Delta, the Rio Grande uh, Valley, uh, and Native American reservations. We've seen those. Poverty hasn't left there in hundreds of years. They, they, they've just been there and continues and, to be there. And you can continue to inject government money into mm-hmm. those areas and they still aren't able to pull themselves out. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think, you know, getting to your point about respect, like I really, I can understand and empathize the people who have had, everyone, a lot of people have experience where they know a family that just exploited yeah. the system. Right. And I can understand and respect that view. But like you said, the reality is, is that's not what the majority yeah. of Americans are. Majority of Americans are in poverty, are yeah. working, are in areas where there just aren't economic opportunities. The schools, the social structure there to help provide a place where people can grow and work their way out of poverty, yeah. they're just not there. And they haven't been there for years. I mean, and, and they're stuck. And it seems like a lot of times the way government works anyway is – you might be stuck simply by your conditions of you don't have a car, mm-hmm. you live in the Mississippi Delta, you'd have to drive 30 miles to Biloxi or wherever to get yeah. to work, and your car isn't consistent enough, and you're taking care of your son's child, your grandchild, yeah. your great-grandchild, and two neighbor kids. Yeah. And if you go get a job, all of these kids won't have daycare either. So it's like, ugh, and you're 45. 
Yeah. That was, that's the dilemma we had with the 1990s welfare reform where we thought, well, let's get people off welfare and work. Right. This idea if they'll, right. they'll work, they'll get, gain self-respect. But what we ended up doing is we ended up flooding um, the market with a lot of single moms making less money. And then once they had to pay for child care, they were actually oh. in a worse situation than – and impact. We actually saw working poverty levels spike. Oh my heavens! Go up double between 1994 and 2004 because you saw so many people going in and trying to find jobs that just can't pay the bills to begin with. But then you've got to take care of the kids on top of it. Yeah. So then we have this dilemma of well, what's better? Is it better for them to stay home and raise their kids, or to put them in a, in a low <laughs> low quality childcare? And so right. these are these are some tough issues we have to uh, look at. Which is why you can't have a. This is a complex problem, and so it's going to demand a complex solution. We can't just. Anytime you're hearing a simple answer, they're missing the point. I mean, it's not that simplistic. Yeah, that's the thing. You know, teaching sociology and yeah. I teach a lot about poverty and development is this: there's no simple answers. I hate to say it. It's, it's multifaceted. And, and, you know, to think about it another way, um, to try to keep it positive when I'm with my students. I yeah. Think about what makes you happy. Is there just one thing that makes you happy? Right. Candy. Yeah. Is it just candy? Is that all that makes right. you happy? We are so – we're such yeah. complex people. All these things go in to make us happy. Same thing going on with poverty. It's There's so not true. just one situation. It's not just lack of education. It's not just a lack of jobs. It is so complex. It is so difficult. And that's the reason why one program, we don't, you know, we'll see, oh, you know, welfare doesn't work or food stamps don't work. Well, because that's just a component of right. poverty. Yes, right. now, now they can feed their kids. But there's still no good jobs. They still have no good child care. Right. Especially in these areas. Exactly. And these areas probably don't have the wealth to bring other opportunities anyway. Well, th- so it keeps it poor. Think about a neighborhood. Like when you go buy a house, what's the, one of the first things you think about is what are the schools like? Right. And that's, that's, the, that's a big thing that can keep these pockets of poverty is that people can, can buy their way into good areas. But then you think about this cumulative effect. Uh, a kid go, is born into a house of poverty. Their mom uh, doesn't have enough food, money to buy good quality food. So there's a negative just to the developmental right. side there. Right. They don't have the kind of strong social networks, strong neighborhoods, safe environments to plan, don't have good schools, good job employment opportunities. And then, like you said, if they have a car, you've got to drive somewhere. But then what happens if there's a car accident? Then you're done. Yeah, you're done. And, and, and unless you can fix your own car. And, and who hasn't been in a car accident? Right. So if we're going to say, well, your whole life is pegged on the slim chance that you live in this awful neighborhood, you're going to get a sub-par education compared to kids that live on the other side of town. That's right. And then if you happen to get in a car accident between now and the next 25 years, yeah, we're, we're throwing in the towel on you. And if, you're, and if you're all on government subsidies, you're not going to be able to pay the same tax rates mm-hmm. to be able to pay and buy schools and get bonds and yeah. do all – so – yeah. It, it, and then and then we sit there and we'll hear some politicians say, "Well, you know, it's just we just it's the darn education system. Mm-hmm. It's 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 a complex system because that demands money, which demands jobs, which demands um, you know laws and legislation. So it's it's a complex solution. So any I, and I really want that out there that anybody that's just got one idea mm-hmm. about poverty." changing it it's it's got to it's got to meet all of those other needs right physical social emotional taxation yeah. it's got to hit all of the other areas yeah and that's something that you know like, like i said i teach a lot of classes on it and students are always well education 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 we'll say okay well let's look at education yes it does help but then 
but then, then yeah, how gotta, do you get it? You got to get a job. That's how right. do you get it? Is it the same quality of education that right. you're getting? At, you know, in a right. different part Are of you, town. Do or? you know how to get educated? Do you exactly. know how to study? Do you know how to learn? Yeah. Do you know how to focus? And that's something you know. Even just if we're thinking about you know child development here, yeah, um, wealthy sides of the town. Parents can volunteer in the schools. They yeah. donate extra money. So the schools on the other side, they're already in better neighborhoods. Right. They're already getting more taxes off of it. But then they've got this other subsidization of, of – which is great. Like I'm right. not saying don't do this. Don't well, help your kids' schools. But ugh. the reality is is kids on the poor side of town, their parents can't afford to take an afternoon off to right. go in and help the kids' uh, school program or And pay whatever. for every extracurricular activity. Yeah. And, and they're, every one of the kids on the other side of town are already taking – Piano lessons mm-hmm. and playing lacrosse and playing every sport they need to and yeah and and then too we we also it seemed like I don't know even when I was younger twenty thirty years ago churches played a bigger part in the social network kind of at the local level they they were more involved it seemed like in being supportive and helping and it's almost like we've kind of removed the role of the local church. As a steward. Yeah, well, churches or any other social organization, yeah. if you think about what well, the positive of, of being involved in a, a, a community volunteer group, a church, whatever it may be, is that your children are exposed to other successful adults, other opportunities. And right. so then you've, you've got these other social networks. So so-and-so knows so somebody can get you a job or so-and-so knows somebody and can help you get into a school. Right. These are big positive that we don't have as much anymore, regardless, I mean, across the spectrum. Yeah. But again, it's just this compounding effect for the poor. When you pull out some of these other things, these these opportunities, these support networks, uh, you don't see this uh, in poor poor parts of the country or poor parts of town. Because you, you used to be able to take your kid to daycare at your church, yeah. which was free. It was volunteer. It was service-oriented. Now it's got to be paid for and subsidized and anyway, and interesting stuff. We're speaking with Dr. Scott uh, Sanders from the sociology department here at Brigham Young University. He's teaching us all about poverty. We come back, I really want to get into childhood poverty, infant poverty. Did you know that 35% of Hispanics, 41% of blacks, 42% of Native American infants are born into poverty? 41% of African Americans born into poverty and it's just supposed to i guess equalize sometime we got to talk about it more with dr scott sanders when we come back this is the matt townsend show Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Today, uh, we're talking about poverty. And and part of, remember, the goal of this show is to, I don't want to just keep regurgitating news. You get to hear that all the time. And I don't want to just get political and have everybody pick their sides and fight. You, You can go find that on a lot of other stations. But in my show, I want to talk about the issues and make sure that you're actually informed. So before you just pick a side and just start, oh, yeah, we're Democrats or we're Republicans, make sure you are informed about what's going on. So when then somebody throws out the word, you know, poverty and you immediately think, oh, you Democrats, always trying to just get more people addicted to the government. Well, the reality is, folks, 23 percent of our children are born into poverty. 
23% of the U.S. population are born into poverty. Now, but here's the crazy numbers. 35% are Hispanic. 41% are black. 42% are Native American. Notice, the majority that are hurting and, and are born into poverty are minorities. This is, an, this is a big deal. And by the way, the more and more, the minorities are we're becoming the majority. So these are solutions that need to be found. Joining us, um, Dr. Scott Sanders from, the, from Brigham Young University. He's a professor of sociology here at BYU, and he does extensive research on poverty. And he's here to inform us. Man, Scott, thanks for coming back. Yeah. This is – I, I love just learning the real numbers and then let people kind of decide what they want to do and who they want to follow. But is that true? 23 percent of our ch- our children, so a quarter basically of all babies in the United States born into poverty. Yeah. So let me just – to, to clarify how we calculated this, yeah. there's a question on the American Community Survey to ask women – if they had a child in the last 12 months. And so that's what we were able to look at. We were able to look right. at that and say, okay, well, if they had a child in the last 12 months, what does that household look like? Are they impoverished? What's the ethnic composition of it? What's the household composition of it? So that's how we had that. So yeah, so 23% of all the of newborns, you know, 12 months and under, were born into poverty. Um, and then when you look at the, the racial differences, that's when it gets scary. I remember oh, when yeah. I, I first did these numbers, I went home. I was a little depressed. Did and it showed my wife and I was like, oh. Blow your mind? Yeah. Cause, because so we have 23 overall, 35% uh, of Hispanics. So you know, almost 4 in 10 his, Hispanic infants are right. born into poverty. 41% for black, 42% for Native Americans. So the same number of 4 yeah. in 10. Here's the crazy thing. It's only 17% for whites. So, so there's this huge discrepancy. Yeah. You're, you're twice as likely, more than twice as likely, to be born into poverty if you are Hispanic, African American, or Native American. What compared to if you're white? Well, see, and fifty years ago, they would say, "Well, yeah, yeah, yeah." We're that you know, some people just work harder. It doesn't fly. Yeah, <laughs> that is, it, there's something. So there's a racial bias in a system somewhere. Mm-hmm creating this disparity, isn't there? Something's got to be creating the disparity. It's not a natural disparity. It's something's not natural there. Yeah, so if you think about so part of what's interesting about this is we're moving poverty to looking at infants is we've got to think about there's this cumulative effect. Think about we're all running a race. We all have different barriers in front of us. Right. Some of, it, some of us, it's going to be, um, um, you know, race is a barrier. Some of us, gender is a barrier. Some of it is born being born into a poor family, a poor area. All these things accumulate across time. And so what we're seeing here is that there's this cumulative effect of racism and Mm. and things that have happened for generations are still present. Yeah. And so kids born today into it, that's one thing that they have to do. But they also are born into – if they're born into a house that's got in poverty – Lack of nutrition, lack right. of education, or examples of parents with education, uh, or in educational opportunities, and so we have this cumulative effect. And and the, the trick true. is, you know, we talked in the last segment, poverty is complex. Oh yeah, and so it could be one or all of these mm-hmm. barriers that ends up tripping up somebody. I mean, if you think about in your life, go back and just imagine one time someone said something to you in high school or college that made a difference and motivated you. Yeah, and then think about a time when someone said something that discouraged you. Right. Sometimes those are deal breakers for people. Right. So somebody along this way could have some sort of racial barrier, and that's a deal breaker for them. They said, that's it. I can't take this anymore. Right. Others can push through that, and it's, it's because they were in an area where their mom didn't, was, was poor and they couldn't afford to go to school. What about, what about Ben Carson? 
I mean, Ben Carson was born, has horrible, you know, conditions, and he became the best neurosurgeon in America. Yeah, there's there's people there's who the can anomaly, do it, right? There's yeah, the there's one people in who a million, can do it. and that's what's great about America, right? Is that we want an America where we can have an American full of Ben Carsons. But that was also a mother that was different, and that's a mother that made sure her boy was reading every day and going to school and getting opportunities. But we can't because there's a one in a million shot. It doesn't mean that we can just trust that everyone can do the one in a million. We need to go take care of the 999999. Exactly. It's it's a, like a lottery. Yes, there's lottery winners, but just because someone won the That's lottery right. doesn't mean you're going to win the lottery the next day. And there's lots of complicated things that go in to make sure people like Ben Carson's can make it. Well, why, so again, why would I why me? Why do I need to worry about this, Scott? Because I mean, I'm our, I'm trying to just get my own life together, but why do I need to worry about the the twenty percent? Yeah, I mean, because that's what I think a lot of people are thinking is, it's just we're always going to have twenty percent. It's just always going to be that way. I think what we need to look at, and and this is something we'll hear politicians say is, you know, keep America strong, yeah. keep America great. These kids we're talking about, this twenty percent, that's um, the Americans of tomorrow. That's the workforce we have. That forty-one percent of blacks, of blacks, Native Americans. That's tomorrow. That's tomorrow. And Hispanics, that was thirty-five percent. They have the highest fertility rate. They're growing by twenty forty-four. We're going to have a majority minority. So whites will be the minority group in America. Mm. So when we're th- talking about being competitive on a global market, having being able to keep jobs in the United States, it's having good, strong workers. It's having people who have been invested in by their, their communities yeah. and their country. And that's why we should care about this because in 20 years, this kid that, that, that we're talking about here, they're going to be the Americans of tomorrow. And so, so, so if we don't take care of, of the kids of today, what are we really saying about what we want for tomorrow? Right. Well, and you, yeah, you can't have it both ways. Yeah, you got to do something. Um, what What else do we need to know when you when we talk about infant um, poverty and and poverty in general? What I mean, because the, there are resources. There, there's WIC, and it seems like I mean, I know you've got some breakdowns on what people use, but it, more people are using you know food stamps than just welfare in general, right? So yeah. we have twenty percent of the population that should be on welfare and they're not. Yeah, so so we looked at the numbers of these households that are that are in poverty. Right? These 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 households where a child was born into poverty yeah. and only about 15% of them are actually doing welfare. So they already qualify for welfare, but only 15% of are receiving it. <laughs> and then we would look at pro food stamps like and programs like WIC, which are really important when we think about prenatal care, yeah. early childhood nutrition for the mother and for the children. We're only seeing about 58% of those households. 58% of those 20% that are impoverished, yeah. they only 56%, 56% are using food stamps in yeah. WIC. yeah. And 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 that those households, the average income is about ten thousand dollars a year, and so we wow. have programs out there, but there's barriers to it. And I think in part because people are saying, just you know, like we said before, I don't want someone living off the government. Right. I don't want someone exploiting these circumstances. Yeah, it's like a so, yeah, we so let's put them. some yeah, let's shame them, and then let's put a little couple extra liars. So if they really need it, they've got to get through it. You know, we've heard about you know drug testing. Yeah. Additional IDs, mm-hmm. uh, some of the things, all those add up, and so we're we're penalizing some of these people who who we you know do we really want an America where we're saying no you got to do it we're not going to help you at all yeah right you know we talk about respect let's respect and help people and and it's the people true. that need help that genuinely need help like what are these kids done 
Like, yeah. You know, they didn't. We should, we should help these kids. But out, it's also know? interesting because this goes back to the whole immigration argument, right? So I'm, I'm going to assume a certain percentage of these might even be illegal in the country, and yet the kids haven't done anything, and yet those are the ones that will eventually become citizens someday. Yeah, and that's something that um, you know I, I saw a newspaper article yesterday about how Texas is trying to change some of their laws on how someone gets a birth certificate. So even if a child is born in the United States, they should be a U.S. citizen. Yeah. They're changing the documentation parents need to provide to be, get that birth certificate oh, to become wow. a citizen. So we're so there is a degree percentage of of kids that are are, are parents that are in this that are are illegal um, migrants. We don't Holy know the percentage, cow. but the kids are all born in the United States, and so they're all U.S. citizens, and they're not getting the the support from the programs that they should. Oh my heavens, you're killing me, Scott. Doctor Scott Sanders, uh, let's take a break. We'll come back and just do a couple more minutes more with Doctor Scott Sanders on poverty. We'll be uh, getting, you know, what could we do about it? We'll find out. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Joining us right now, Dr. Scott Sanders, a professor of sociology here at Brigham Young University, and uh, has he's researched extensively poverty in America. And again, you you can always just go put an R and a D next to whatever your beliefs are, Republican, Democrat. But if you just strip all of that aside, twenty percent of the U.S. population live in poverty, below ten thousand uh, dollars a person, or twenty-four thousand for a family of four and 23 percent of the population of of children being born are born into poverty 17 percent of those are white 41 percent are black 42 percent native american 35 percent hispanic hispanics are going to keep growing in population and they uh have higher uh birth rates right so Mm -hmm. this is an issue going forward yeah and in the end we it it costs us because this is just it's almost like social security or whatever we it's a problem that if we don't deal with it now it just keeps growing and it just keeps growing and we keep almost minimizing our potential because our these people aren't going to get as educated they're not going to have as many opportunities they're going to end up drawing more on the systems because they don't know how to get out of the system and yet we complicate it too you know yeah. we create a department that has billions of people and Tons of things you've got to do to get your food stamps. Yeah. So, I mean, one way to think about it is these kids that we're talking about here that are born in poverty, they're starting the game of life behind. Yeah. They, they, they're, there's, we're not, we don't have the same starting line for everybody. Some kids are, are two, three steps back. And so, the, and then somehow we expect them to, to Hurry. catch that you up. Can get, you yeah, can do yeah, it. Yeah, you can, can do, do it. it. Yeah, it's America. Everyone can do it. Right. And we, so, we, I think we need to come to the realization that America is a complex place. And that, that that we are not as free and fair mm-hmm. as we want to be, and I think everybody wants that. I you know I study yeah. this and I see all these problems, all these barriers we have in our society, and I more than anyone want an America where it doesn't matter if you you know if you're born in this part of town or this color or that right. part of town and that color, everybody can work their way up. And so we need to realize this is the reality. We have this situation where there's 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 disadvantages at the get go. Yeah. And these are comp- compounded because these kids, when you're young, 
Think about how important food is. Think about how oh. important a, a stimulating environment is. And if they're not getting it because of because of no fault to their own, right. then then when they hit kindergarten, they're already behind. And so we need to we need to bring more attention to these things to early childhood development, right. prenatal care. To end to address this racial issue here, and, and you made a really great point in some of your other research about these are these are usually working poor. Mm-hmm. These are these are people that are working. They're not just hanging out. They're working and doing everything they can, and yet they still can't get out of the twenty four thousand dollar a year. Yeah, so trap forty seven roughly forty seven million Americans are in poverty right now. About twenty seven million of those are in households that are working at least part time. Uh, and mm. and they can't get out of poverty. And they'd love to get out of poverty. Yeah, yeah. They'd love it's it. not like this is awesome. I want to stay here. We've got about thirty seconds. What what would you say to just the average listener? What can the average person do? I guess too, especially in their political choices and their as they're as they're deciding a president in the next year and a half or whatever. What should we be making sure we're understanding? I think compassion. I think it comes down to listen to your leaders. Think about yourself too. Do you care about Americans regardless of their color, regardless of their economic situation? And do you want to help them? Mm. Because most Americans want to help themselves. Are we a country that still wants to help other Americans succeed? And do we want to support a leader that has those kind of views? That's great. And and then do you hear compassion yeah. from your leaders? And if you don't, maybe look for someone else. That's true. Beautiful. Scott Sanders, appreciate you, man. That's uh, good stuff. Dr. Scott Sanders, professor of sociology here at Brigham Young University. I mean, are you kidding me? Compassion? What are you, a compassionate conservative? <laughs> what are you, a compassionate Democrat? Compassion. It's the principle. And I think in the end, that's where we can all agree. If we can't agree on a principle of compassion... And that doesn't mean total, you know, ignoring of everything else. We can have compassion and consistency and work. We can do it all. That's what's cool about uh, being in the richest country in the world. Okay, folks, we'll take a break. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your coach, your guide on the side, doing what we can on this program to give you... The insight, the information, the tools you need to grow a healthier, happier life. We don't want to just give you the news. Anyone can give you the news. We want to help take the news to another level and uh, teach you what to do with your families, your kids, your life, your job, your self-esteem, your own mind, for heaven's sakes, to create a healthier, happier life. Welcome to the show. Hour number two of the show. Man, today uh, is is uh, Respect Day, and respect, it's, you know, it's spelled in a very easy way. R-E-S-P-C-T, find out what it means to me. Mm-hmm. Mm. Excuse me. Today's Respect Day, and it's also National POW Missing in Action Recognition, recognition Day which we we need to have a major shout-out 
for all of those uh, soldiers uh, that are missing in action, prisoners of war missing in action, Recognition Day. It's the day we honor those men and women who are prisoners of war or those who are still missing in action. I mean, think of how many people are still missing in action. And we just sit here and take everything else for granted. So we're celebrating National POW MIA Recognition Day. We are also um, today have a great topic coming up with your kids. Is it quality time or quantity time? Is it uh, quality? You just got to have, you know, really good time together, you know, whatever you can get. Or is it quantity time? Is it having a lot? Well, we've got some researchers that will be giving us some insight. They just finished a study on that. Uh, Amy Shin and Melissa Milkey will be joining us. They'll be talking about some of their research. It's pretty interesting stuff. And we'll be getting into that. We also, I just found um, the funniest uh, mom. A mom gave an ultimatum to her 13-year-old son. Some of you may have, have felt the same way as this mother. Her name is Estella Havisham. And she basically, uh, she's a domestic abuse survivor. And she was angry about her son's disregard for her rules. She said her 13-year-old son lied about his homework. And the mom And she said, the kid said that, Mom, you're not the boss of me. You're not the boss of me, Mom. So in the end, you know, he basically got all cocky, saying I could earn my own way. Mm -hmm. You can earn your own way, she says. Then she wrote him a letter. Here's the letter. Dear Aaron. Since you seem to have forgotten that you were only 13 and I am the parent and that you won't be controlled, I guess you will need to learn a lesson in independence. Also, as you threw in my face that you are making money now, it will be easier to buy back all of the items I bought for you in the past. Thank you. Thank you. We've got a big, we've got a big crowd today. Man, we got a big. What was attendance today, Ben, for the show? Um, I think it's sixty. Sixty thousand. Yeah. Sixty thousand people. Uh, so she's going to basically charge him. If you want, if you would like light bulbs or lamps uh, or access to the internet, you will need to pay your share of the costs. Rent four hundred and thirty dollars. Electricity one hundred and sixteen dollars. Internet twenty one dollars. Food one hundred and fifty dollars. Also, you will need to empty the trash Monday, Wednesday, Friday, as well as sweep and vacuum those days. You'll need to keep your bathroom clean weekly, prepare your own meals, and clean up after yourself. If you fail to do so, I will charge you a $30 maid fee for every day I have to do it. If you decide you would rather be my child again instead of a roommate, we can negotiate terms. That's so great. Love mom. Man, how many times have we all basically threatened something like that? Well, she wrote the letter. Now, what would have really been cool is if she had had it served like <laughs> through a marshal. Anyway, that thing went viral 160,000 times. Parents matter, folks. So is it more about the time we spend? Is it how much time? You know, would this son be different if the mom spent a lot of time with her son? Is it about the time? Is it about the quantity or the quality of time? 
One of my favorite uh, videos we'll put up on the Twitter feed at uh, Dr. Matt Show. You got to go see this. This is my favorite Facebook video out there. It's a video of a dad changing a diaper of his baby. And he is a... <laughs> what was happening to that baby? That was scary. I think that was the dad. Actually. Was that the dad? Yeah. Oh, was that the dad getting sick? Yeah. This is a big, muscly dad with big tattoos on his arms. He's changing the baby. And he's, he's the, he really is the sweetest man ever. He's taking care of her and he's talking to her. Oh, you're such a good baby. And then he takes the diaper off and he immediately <laughs> starts to gag. And then, you know, he catches himself and he keeps talking to her and then he gags again. <laughs> over and over through about the three-minute video. And one time he actually does lose it a little bit. <laughs> and it's so cute. His eyes are watering and he's trying to be so nice to her and trying to keep, you know, showing positive facial expressions and... At the very end, he's like, okay, he's from England, I guess. And he's like, okay, babe, um, let's keep this one clean till mom gets home. <laughs> like, please don't ever make me do this again. Anyway, we'll put it on our Facebook page or on our Twitter page. At uh, Dr. Matt Show is where you can find that. Funny stuff. We're talking parents today. And uh, we'll, be, we'll be getting in depth on how much time. Is it time? Is it quantity? Is it quality? What's the real key? We'll get into that research in just a few minutes. But before we do that, let's get to Kathy Aiken and the Week in Review. The death toll due to the southern Utah flash floods has reached 18, the majority of those coming in Hilldale, Utah, when two vehicles filled with women and children were washed away. Utah Lieutenant Governor Spencer Cox. Obviously, this is one of the worst weather-related disasters in the history of the, uh, of the state of Utah, and because of that, we're bringing the full resources of the state to bear. At nearby Zions National Park, six bodies have been found and one other hiker is still missing. The hiker set out on Monday to rappel down a narrow slot canyon when the flash flooding washed through. One hiker warned the others of the weather danger. We said, you know, the weather's supposed to be bad today, and they said, well, we're going to take our chances because it'll probably be bad tomorrow too. I think you just don't risk it. The hikers were from California and Nevada. A tsunami watch was in effect in Hawaii and parts of California yesterday after a magnitude 8.3 earthquake hit the coast of central Chile. The quake has killed eight people and injured dozens more. The second GOP presidential debate is over, and most polls show Donald Trump won big in the three-hour slugfest with Carly Fiorina coming in second. On the topic of foreign policy, here's what Fiorina said about Russia and Vladimir Putin. Having yes. met Vladimir Putin, I wouldn't talk to him at all. We've talked way too much to him. What I would do immediately is begin rebuilding the Sixth Fleet. I would begin rebuilding the missile defense program in Poland. I would conduct regular, aggressive military exercises in the Baltic states. I'd probably send a few thousand more troops into Germany. Vladimir Putin would get the message. Trump had a different view. But I would get along with a lot of the world leaders that this country is not getting along with. We don't get along with China. We don't get along with the heads of Mexico. We don't get along with anybody. And yet at the same time, they rip us left and right. They take advantage of us economically in every other way. 
We get along with nobody. I will get along, I think, with Putin, and I will get along with others, and we will have a much more stable world. Two responses that got the most applause came from Fiorina about Trump's recent comments about her face as well as her thoughts on Planned Parenthood. As expected, Trump was the primary focus of criticism, but he didn't back down when it came to criticizing his opponents. Rand Paul took a hit from Trump and didn't like it. Here's Rand Paul. I think really there's a sophomore quality that is entertaining about Mr. Trump, but I am worried. I'm very concerned about him having him in charge of the nuclear weapons because I think his response, his, his visceral response to attack people on their appearance, short, tall, fat, ugly, my goodness, that happened in junior high. Are we not way above that? Would we not all be worried to have someone like that in charge of the nuclear arsenal? Mr. Trump. I never attacked him on his look, and believe me, there's plenty of subject matter right there. After the debate, Fiorina gained the most new Twitter followers with 30,000. The candidates have plenty of time to prepare for the third GOP debate that is scheduled for October 28th in Boulder, Colorado. In a New York Times CBS News poll this week, Bernie Sanders now leads Hillary Clinton in New Hampshire 52 to 30 percent. He also leads her in Iowa 43 to 33 percent. Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell is looking for another way to halt a nuclear deal with Iran. McConnell's Plan B would prevent President Obama from lifting sanctions on the country until Iran releases four jailed Americans and recognizes the right of Israel to exist. This idea coming after Senate Democrats prepared to filibuster a resolution of disapproval for a second time. California Governor Jerry Brown declared a state of emergency after hundreds of homes were destroyed in two fast-moving wildfires in the northern part of the state. Three people have died as a result of the blazes, which are still not contained. Meanwhile, according to a study from the University of Arizona, the Sierra Nevada snowpack is estimated to be at its lowest level in more than 500 years. The snow melt from that helps California with nearly one-third of its water every year. The Serbian refugee crisis continues, with Hungary ordering a 30-day closure to its border with Serbia, this coming after clashes with refugees and Hungarian police. Meanwhile, the Obama administration is reportedly preparing to allow more refugees in the U.S., up to 100,000 in the year 2017. Kim Davis, the Kentucky County Clerk, who was jailed for not issuing same-sex marriage licenses, returned to work Monday. I want the whole world to know, be no mistake about it, that if my deputy clerks who do not have my authorization or the authority. They don't have my authority to issue any license whatsoever. I love my deputy clerks, and I hate that they have been caught in the middle. If any of them feels that they must issue an unauthorized license to avoid being thrown in jail, I understand their tough choice, and I will take no action against them. However, any unauthorized license that they issue will not have my name, my title, or my authority on it. Davis said she could not add her name to the licenses because she believes it conflicts with God's definition of marriage. With the Week in Review, I'm Kathy Aiken. Thank you, Kathy. Man, great week and uh, a lot going on. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we'll be joined by uh, Professors Melissa Milkey and Amy Shin talking to us about some of their latest research about time with your children. Quality, quantity, what really is the research showing Uh, are the keys to great parenting, healthy families, healthy children, especially when it comes to your time with the kids. Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back.
Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, a topic uh, I think so many of us feel uh, we have to create some balance, some form of balance. When it comes to life and our children, we want to give them as much time as we possibly can. We have so many things pulling for our attention, and I think it induces a ton of guilt um, on a lot of us, especially I grew up with a single mom in the house, and uh, she was stressed out of her head trying to be there for us, be at our games and our events. So I wanted to uh, talk to a couple of wonderful professors about the research they've been doing um, on quality versus quantity time with children and uh, even how mom's employment may affect the kids. Joining us on the phone, uh, Melissa, Dr. Melissa Milkey is with us. She is a professor of sociology at the University of Toronto, and she um, has been doing some research on this subject. Dr. Milkey, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Thank you very much for having me. It's wonderful to be here. You bet. Honored to have you. I know we are also trying to get uh, Dr. Amy Shin on the phone as well. And as soon as we can get her on, we'll bring her in to the conversation. Um, but Professor Milkey, teach us, it, I mean, was, is this pressure real? I mean, it seems like it's so many of us are trying to do that balance of being a good dad, a good mom, and run the rest of our lives. It, it's, it's, it's a real thing, right? It's not just me in my head. Absolutely. I, th- I think there is a lot of pressures now for mothers. Uh, we, we call this uh, in scholarly worlds uh, intensive mothering. And for fathers, there's a real you know, norm of involved fathering. Fathers are quite different than they were in the past yeah. in terms of the time they've spent, they spend with kids. So there's new expectations. There's uh, a lot of concern we have for children and how they're spending their time. And uh, that's actually not a new thing in a lot of ways. We sort of have a long history of worrying about um, how children spend their time and um, way back to, in our book, Changing Rhythms of American Family Life, we document um, some info- information from the 1920s. The Boy Scouts of America were uh, concerned that um, about children's leisure. They thought young people had too much time on their hands and they weren't using it constructively yeah. and so on, um, all the way through. And uh, more recently, there's been concerns about, you know, as mothers marched into the labor force, uh, how would employment affect children and so on hmm. so yeah a lot a lot of worrying uh, well and, yeah and it seems like with more and more uh, even more women stepping into the workforce in in so many different ways it's uh yeah it's it's even seemingly becoming a kind of a louder cry and, and i guess a bigger question about when it comes to time by the way we did finally get amy shin on the line dr amy shin's now joining us she's an assistant professor of sociology at queen's college uh, CUNY, C-U-N-Y, uh, University of, uh, City University of New York. Is that right? That's right. That's right. Thank you for having me. You bet. Great to have you both on. Uh, so talk about some of the research that you, you've been doing um, when it comes to quality time. Dr. Shin, why don't you just uh, start us off? What are you finding in the research when, it, when we actually bring up just the topic of time and parenting? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I, uh, my colleague Christina Salfe and I were interested in looking at the two kind of assumptions that underlie so much of the heated debate that surrounds the topic of women, work, and children. And the, the first assumption being that work necessarily reduces the amount of time mothers spend with their children. And the second being that time actually matters for children's cognitive and socio-emotional development. 
Um, and like Melissa and her colleagues, we analyzed time diary data from a large nationally representative sample of parents and children in the United States. And we find that maternal employment can have, actually have an overall positive effect on children because working women have gone to great lengths to prevent work from interfering with the good, quote-unquote, types of time mothers can spend with their children. Yeah. And because work can actually reduce the the amount of negative or bad, quote-unquote, time or the least productive types of time um, parents spend with their children. So really, you're seeing that mom's, mom's working uh, is being, it's seen as a benefit because it's, it's actually adding to the quality of time that they have, and it's taking away some of the things that would, I guess, like maybe help us understand what is good quality and what is bad quality time. Sure. Um, We try to distinguish between quantity, sheer quantity of time, and quote-unquote quality of time. And Mm -hmm. so when we talk about quality, we look at three aspects of time. So um, time devoted to educationally oriented activities, like time spent reading to your child, doing homework with your child, um, time spent what we call doing structured activities that's kind of organized leisure time, like playing with your children, um, playing sports, um, playing music, having meals together, going to you know art and music classes with your children, T- time where you're not necessarily doing homework, but you're doing activities that actually involve parents to be engaged, yeah. to be talking to their children. Um, and so that's the second type of time. And then we look at the, a third type of time, which is we call it unstructured time. So time where parents are, say, watching television, playing video games with their children, time where children are left to do their own thing and parents are present, but they're not actually actively engaged right. with the child in, in these types of activities. And when we look at the relationship between um, quantity of time and child outcomes, our findings mirror much of the findings of Melissa and her colleagues, which is that we find a very weak relationship with sheer quantity of time um, and child outcomes. But when we look at um, the specific aspects of time, we find that maternal employment has actually no effect on the amount of time mothers devote to educationally oriented activities, structured activities with their child. Interesting. They don't read less, they don't play less with their children, and these are the types of activities that actually matter for child outcomes. Yeah. The unintentioned consequence of maternal work is that it also actually reduces the amount of time mothers spend in these unstructured activities. Uh-huh. So, so yeah, that's time. what you're saying, huh? It pushes them to the healthier activities. Right, and that has a small negative effect on young children, on children under the age of six. Okay, interesting. I mean, and it really, but it, wow. So what that kind of tells me a lot of times is you're really, you're, you're burning, you could burn out. I mean, the minute you, so you work all day, then we come home and moms are now going to go have leisure time or have play time and fun time and classes and study and work and read and... Um, but it's not burning them out, Melissa? Well, it's really interesting to look at what happened um, just over this really amazing period of change in the, you know, say, the last 20, 30 years. Yeah. Um, so what what did happen with Mother's Time is, is um, again, I think really profound because as they marched into the labor force and their time in paid employment increased, they maintained or even increased um, – this time in child care as a main activity. And um, 
also they actually maintained what we call this total time. So for married mothers um, from 1975 to 2000, their hours of what we call total time was 47 hours per week to 51 hours per week Hmm. um, with kids. And so they dropped housework. Um, They uh, did more multitasking, which, you know, can maybe not be as uh, refreshing, right, and uh, stressful. Uh, They included children in their own leisure. So is that, you know, a good thing or not? Um, Hmm. We we don't know. They dropped some time with spouses. And so, you know, it might be that mothers uh, (laughs) are trying to hold it all together and to some degree fathers and um, you know, we it, it's a good thing to look at um, parents' well-being as as well in uh, this right. era of pressure. Well, it's interesting. So what I'm hearing though is there somehow it's being managed where because it's not necessarily a, a big detriment to the children. Like a lot of people just assume, well, if mom's not there, she's obviously or she's working, she's obviously can't devote as much time. But your research is showing she is devoting even a little bit more time than she normally would, especially to the most important things we should be doing with our kids. And there's not an adverse effect on the children, which is, so moms are handling it incredibly well. And I guess too, that could be dads helping, stepping in more, picking up more of the housework duty. I mean, and and really becoming true partners in this thing. Yeah, we also look at father's time and we do find that when mothers work, fathers increase their childcare time. Mm. Um, so fathers are stepping, stepping in. Yeah, and helping out and uh, developmentally. In fact, let's. We probably ought to take a break. But when we come back, I really want to talk about so developmentally what's happening. Apparently, the kids are they're not having an adverse effect to this. Is it? Is there something additive to this when we see mom working? When we see dad and mom partnering better? And when we see you know all of the roles being shared more mutually? Is, is there a benefit to that side? We're speaking again with Dr. Amy Shin and Dr. Melissa Milkey about uh, family time, parenting time, time with our kids, quantity versus quality, uh, and some of their latest research. Interesting stuff, folks. Stick with us. This is The Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. How much time should you be spending with your kids? Uh, You know, mothers have felt a lot of pressure to spend time with their kids over the years. And with more and more of them entering the workforce, the question and the guilt, it tends to come up. But in reality, we're finding out, according to our two guests, that uh, American moms are maybe spending more time with their kids today, especially quality type of time than ever before and uh interesting interesting insights we're learning here this um our guests today are dr amy shin she's assistant professor of sociology at queens college uh cuny c-u-n-y city of new york uh university there and also uh dr melissa milkey professor of sociology at the university of toronto she joins us now they're both talking uh quality and quantity time welcome back professors thank you Appreciate you being here. Talk about, um, and I guess Melissa, let's let's start with you. When when we think about it, and we think um, that there is the guilt, right? But there's there's also one of the things I'm 
kind of concerned about is just the development. I mean, developmentally, there's there's just certain things kids need at certain times. And so developmentally in your research, you, you're, what are you seeing when it comes to the time parents are spending with their kids and the child's development? Is, are there any problems with the amount of time we're spending? Uh, well, that's a great question. I, I, I'd like to uh, just um, add that what, when we're thinking about kids as a whole, it's really important to think about, um, you know, social class status and, and kids who really are not having as many opportunities to have as much resources. Right. Uh, kids of single moms, like you mentioned yourself, uh, growing up with a single mom, I grew up with a single mom. Um, so uh, those kids in those families and kids um, of lower socioeconomic status have actually, you know, less time uh, from both parents and less you know, income perhaps. And so right. that, that's, I think, where we want to really think about uh, how we can be supportive to families. Um, and middle-class kids are getting, especially with married in the married uh, parent household, are getting, you know, more time and uh, more resources. Yeah. So, so, so yeah, it depends on the that socioeconomic class as well, right? Because if mom's going to go work, I mean, too, that also is a, that there's a. It seems like sometimes there's just such a dire need. We we were a single income family. My mom had to work. She didn't want to work, and she was so torn by it. And you could almost you could just see that that would put everybody at such a disadvantage. So developmentally, what are you seeing from these different economic states? Uh, yeah, I, Amy may be able to speak better to that question. Yeah, Amy. Um. I mean, I, I do think that um, how people, you know, certainly how people um, spend, how parents spend time with their children changes over the the life course, right? The children's right. Um, developmental stages, and and um, you know, you, you, if parenting is much more intensive, you need much more one-on-one time when children are young, and then. Um, when as they get older, parenting and investing time, it's kind of more like investing time into finding out which are the right schools, finding out what type of extracurricular activities best fit your kids' needs. And it's not necessarily, you know, the one-on-one time in, in that respect, but it's more about managing, you know, your kid's life and, and trying to, you know, these types of overseeing types of time. Right. That need to be invested, right? And I think that you know, and you know, back to the the, the issue of education, we do know that you know, high, better educated mothers and parents are better at kind of ad- adapting to these developmental changes and adjusting their parental time to kind of to what is most age appropriate than less yeah. educated parents. And so it kind of brings us back to the. You know the issue of affluence, of 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 you know income and education again. And, and those I, those are all things that seem to take time, right? So going to get an yeah, education would take time away from your kids. Getting a job would take time away from your kids. Getting healthy, working out, exercising these are all things that could still be they could be taking the time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But they're good for kids to see, and it changes the environment the kids can be raised in. Yeah, and I think, you know, we, we as uh, in the U.S., there's such a slim social safety net. So, for example, you know, health insurance uh, more recently has changed, but, you know, it can be tied to a parent's employment status. So, yeah. you know, how, how can we support families uh, so that there is time to have the, the good kinds of time that uh, kids need? And, 
to have the kind of other resources that kids need? And, and what is the alternative to mother's time and father's time that, mm-hmm. that children have access to? Do they have yeah. access to high-quality care, mm-hmm. uh, whoever those caregivers may be, and to high-quality activities? And, again, that varies uh, so much by uh, parents' socioeconomic status. That's uh, it's it's yeah. so true, and it also I guess shows the complexity of this, right? Because again, we talk about our politicians out there making policies, but if they're not informed at understanding what's really going on, then the policies won't necessarily help. I think one of the the most interesting kind of changes in parental time and and parental investments in children that have occurred over the past thirty years or so is that the educational gradient in time investments and also in in just monetary investments in children has really grown. So highly educated, affluent parents have always invested more time and money in their children, but that gap between the rich and poor, highly educated and less educated, is growing. Hmm. And, And that's really driven by the fact that, you know, high SES families are kind of doubling down on investments in children. They spend more time with their children. They spend more time saving for college and, and, and spend more money in extracurricular activities. And the poor just can't, you know, keep up. So, you know, this brings us to the, the question of, you know, should we worry? Um, who should be worrying? You yeah. know? I think there are some of us that are, you know, doing the right, many of us that are, you know, you know, doing the right things. But there are some who can't and they can't keep up because of their economic circumstances. And, um, and so when you talk about these broader policy questions, it's really about, you know, how do we ensure families have the economic means to be able to devote the right amount, uh, the amount of time to their children? And yeah. I think, you know, that, that's important. In fact, last hour we talked uh, with a BYU sociologist about just poverty and the mm-hmm. impact that that has in every realm educationally. But as you sit here and we talk about time, time is money and money is time. And so when we don't have the finances and and then we may not have the education, we may not have the opportunities. We may, we may have a half hour commute in Mm -hmm. public transit instead of a 10 minute commute in a car or whatever. So, I mean, it's really, again, it's, and it really, in the end, it's almost not about time. Um, I mean, it is, but it's about what we do when we are home, a lot of this, isn't it? I mean, it's it's because yeah. it's kind of. I mean, I get home and I'm such. I'm an. I'm so exhausted that I would just sit there and veg <laughs> with my family, and but then I feel and I feel guilty vegging, but I'm so exhausted. Right. Well, I mean, if we. It's interesting if we look at the total amount of time that parents spend with kids, um, including not just what we've uh, talked about as a parents' time in primary activities and how child care has uh, actually increased for uh, mothers and forefathers even more dramatically. But if we look at this other kind of time where, um, you know, parents are doing their thing, whether it's leisure, watching TV, or they're, you know, doing housework, but kids are in the vicinity. And when we count that total time, it's a lot of hours, you know, per week. Um, and so I think there's lots of room within there to not only, you know, have some of those important quality activities depending on the age of the the child, but also um, to uh, to have all the other good things that are important for for parents. Yeah, I mean, does it? You, one thing you did mention is that we might be um, borrowing some of our time from our partners, our relationships. I mean, I know there's 
research about when we start having children, marital satisfaction tends to drop. Right. But family satisfaction might stay pretty constant and healthier. Are are we and I see that in my in my work with couples that a lot of times we're losing the couple when the kids come. Right. Yeah, I mean ch- children are really at the the center. We you know uh, we talk about this as intensive mothering, but you know children are sort of at the center of the universe and we really so concerned about them and their futures in in a competitive global marketplace, you mm. know, even more so. But um but I think, you know, parent, uh, parents do spend less time with their spouse than in the past, um, and, you know, that may be important. And and so, yeah, some kinds of satisfaction go down. I think also, though, those studies uh, can look at, you know, meaning. So parents have a lot of meaning in their life. Sure, yeah. And, uh, and, and children are much more, you know, sort of freely chosen now than in the past right. when everyone had kids sort of as an important fulfillment of their expectations. So parents are more selective today than mm-hmm. they were in the past. And these parents really want to spend time with kids. And actually, some of our research shows that, um, you know, more about half of parents feel they don't have enough time with kids, and especially their older kids, because those older kids are off in the world doing their own thing. Yeah. And so um, so there's just, there's a lot going on, and, uh, you know, a lot of time pressures on people. And I think, you know, some of these things could be alleviated could be done in better ways, but um, it's complicated. No, it totally is. Is is there any way, uh, Amy, can, can you spend too much time with your kids? I mean, I've had vacations where I thought, okay, that was too much time. <laughs> oh, I've, sure, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, we could, I mean, you know, just to kind of put some numbers to, yeah. you know, because I think, and this this kind of leads out, out of um, Melissa's point, which is, so on average, you know, what we find is that Parents are spending about four hours per week on educationally oriented activities, three hours per week in structured activities, and 16 hours per week in unstructured activities, right? So unstructured activities, is it composes the bulk of parental time, yeah. um, which is understandable because, you know, clearly there are limits to what you can do within a 24-hour period, right? Yeah, and, right. And our, our results are not suggesting that now parents need to go and reallocate all their time so that it's constantly reading and, you know, talking to their children. But it's, it's you know, finding that balance. Um, and, and when, you know, when that balance is, is tilted towards not enough good activities and too much of the unproductive activities, kids can suffer. But, you know, finding that balance is difficult for the individual yeah. because you need to, you know, adjust to the adult, the parents, and also to the child because every child, you know, needs potentially different things, right? So. Do you see technology playing a difference? I mean, in, especially, I guess, in the unstructured. Um, I mean, I know when we kind of have unstructured time at our house, it goes amazingly quiet. And then I look around, and that which is always scary, and I look around and everybody's on their phones, and their mm-hmm. laptops and their Palm Pilots. And and then what was interesting, the other night, we just had everyone turn them off right before they were going to bed. And we sat as a family and talked. And it was so amazing to me how, like, almost hungry they were for that. Yeah, this is a great mm-hmm. question. I think we're in a new era. And when these data were collected, you know, the Internet and uh, devices didn't exist like we know them in the same way and certainly not um, in the amount – so, uh, you know, this is what does it mean to be with your child or yeah. with your partner when you're on devices? Uh, it's it's not necessarily. Again, we've always been concerned about changes in technologies and TV when that came about. You know, way back uh-huh. in the 50s and so on. But um, 
but I think it's important. What does it mean to be engaged and do electronics change that? Um, so those are really interesting questions about mm-hmm. how those matter. I wish we – what we need, you two need to get on this. You need to make an app. <laughs> you need to make an app that measures education time, structured time, unstructured time, and little alarms go off that say it's time to play with your kids. <laughs> Don't you think? Okay, and Because yeah. we would all be reacting to that. Pavlov. We could, we could do that, yeah, yeah. We and make a lot of money. You and would then... be so rich, which is why you got into academics, isn't it? Oh yeah, right. This is this is what I love right. about uh, researchers like you too, because you're the, you're you're getting information that we all need to hear, right? And the problem is, it's hard to get that information out there sometimes. Um, as we're as we're kind of wrapping this up, we'll give. Let's just give both of you one minute to teach us or tell us. Of all the things you're learning, so for the average mom who's stressed out of her head <laughs> thinking she's not good enough and feels like she's failing, um, what have you found in your research that really matters and that they need to focus on? Who I'm wants to go first? Go first. <laughs> Amy, do you want to go first? Um, I, I, I will say that you know, there are people who probably need to worry less. There are people who probably need to worry about their children. And, um, you know, I think if it, probably the listeners to these to this show are, are following the, 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 the category of people who are just probably doing the right things. It, it's really the the poor, the, the working poor who are struggling, um, and, uh, and, and we as a society need to make it possible for them to um, actually improve their economic conditions so that they can actually um, spend time with their children and that time be not stressed um, and, and for that, that time to be quality time. Yeah. That's great. I mean, that's so so needed, especially as we're in this political climate where everyone's debating now. Um, Dr. Milky, what what would you say? Yeah, I just think it's great to keep the big picture in mind, and uh, things change over the child's life course, of course, and each kid is different, and uh, research can only speak so much to an individual parent, but um, it's good to look at the long haul here and how really we have different views about how kids should spend their time, and that changes and it's different in different cultures. And, um, you know, for the most part, kids are doing fine. Yeah. Uh, that, um, and, when, and when they're not, you know, there's lots of factors that are important. And, and maybe notice the good, too, right? I mean, because there, there's, there's good stuff going on with your kids. And, Absolutely. Because and, and, it is so easy to just, oh, I'm such a loser. And I think <laughs> we all just do that. That's, I guess that's, I don't know. That's, don't beat yourself up. Yeah. Well, we appreciate you um, so much for your for your great work. Dr. Melissa Milkey, Dr. Amy Shin, thank you for what you do. Keep up the good work. Keep researching. We'll have you back when we find out uh, when you've done your next bit of research on time. Well, we have the answers to everything. Yes. Now, if you guys could have all of the answers next time, that would be great. Okay. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> thank you, you both. We appreciate you. Man, really, truly, we're blessed to to have this age where we can gather this data and know what's going on. I mean, just to know that you're spending your time in different ways, you know, for education, in structured activities, or in just kind of unstructured, 
Sometimes just reallocating a little bit of your time of the unstructured to making sure the most important things are happening. You only need to do a little here and there. Follow your conscience on some of this too. Also, support policies, support politicians that don't just throw out ideas about the poor. We've talked about it on the show two or three times. Today is Respect Day, and that's why uh, we want to make sure we show respect. We'll take a break. We'll come back, wrap this up. This is the Matt Townsend Show right here on BYU Radio. friends to the Matt Townsend show. You know, it's really, it's hard. Um, it would be ideal, right? If we could just all not have to work, stay home with our children. But I think in reality, if that happened, we'd have a lot of children being harmed. (laughs) We'd be playing Let It Go all day. Is that what you were doing? I just think we need to let it go sometimes. Sometimes we do. But you can't let it go too far because your kids will run the show. Kids need direction. They need boundaries. They They need to know you care. And being raised with, you know, a single mom, we also, she had to work. And one of the great lessons that I learned, and I see it with uh, in my own family, my extended family, um, when my mom had to work, we had to be different kind of kids. We had to be much more responsible. I had to get myself ready. I remember getting myself ready for an all-star game. I had a cold. I had a baseball all-star game and was watching, you know um, – Gilligan's Island, getting ready, had to do everything I needed to do. I remember getting ready for football practice, putting on my pads, my helmet, and riding my bike to football. Sure, it wasn't safe to wear my helmet with major blind spots, but I wanted head protection. But if you got hit by a car, you'd be good. Safest guy in town. And I remember going on my own and – Riding my bike two or three miles to school, not a big deal. Didn't even think about it. And I think it made me better. I remember weeding all summer, weeding and weeding and weeding. Actually, I never was weeding. I just kept turning over weeds because my mom didn't know that if you take a big shovel of dirt of weeds and you just put the weeds down in the dirt, then the dirt's up and the weeds are down. And, you know, two days later, there's weeds again. She's like, that's crazy. These weeds just keep coming right back up. That method's been the same for years. I know. <laughs> so one of the things about this, if, if you don't feel like you can spend enough time, don't just feel guilty and hate yourself and beat yourself up. Use that little pang of guilt, that little feeling you're having, and go ask yourself, what's the most important thing I can do right now? And be in the now with your family. When you get home, I know, take a half hour Take a break. Get yourself together. 
then start being present. That's, I think, the biggest key to all of us. We're not here to give you more guilt, but research shows we are spending more quality types of time with our kids than ever before. We're doing that. And we also have a major impediment, I think, of technology and not being present. So united, let's just try to be more present as a parent. That's it. We'll take a break, my friends. When we come back, a whole new hour. We'll be reviewing some movies. We're going to bring in the, the millennials. Let's see what they're going to teach me. Fun stuff. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your life coach, your guide on the side. Welcome to the program. This is the show where we help you with your home improvement. Not uh, not just the not fixing up your home, but making your house a home. Also, with your personal uh, human improvement projects, trying to do what we can to give you uh, a healthier life, wealthier at times. And today we'll be talking about movies coming up. We'll also be uh, visiting our good buddies at BYU Sports Nation. Find out what's going on. Uh, on their show coming up at the top of the hour. Plus, uh, we're going to see if my producers are, can teach me something. Good luck with that. Good luck with that. You may have seen the great uh, debate. A lot of the numbers are coming out now. Trump apparently trumped everyone when it came uh, to the speaking time. Donald Trump had 20 minutes. Out of a three-hour debate, Donald Trump captured 20 minutes of it. Bush, 16 and a half, almost 17 minutes. Carly Fiorina, 14 and a half, 14, 15 minutes. Carson, 13 minutes. At the very bottom, Scott Walker, nine minutes. And he's ticked. He is mad because he's sure, he is sure that uh, that was just CNN's whole ploy anyway. CNN just wanted Carly Fiorina to have the whole thing. So he just, you know. He gave he got they, CNN got Carly in. She shouldn't have even been in. They got her in. Scott Walker's mad. Also, it just happens to correlate today with the fact that a lot of uh, the Scott Walker's followers and and people giving the money, they're not. They're a little scared because you know he's not performing. So anyway, there's going to be some fallout. It seems like from some of these. Uh, some of these candidates may not be around as long as we think, huh? Boy, wouldn't that be great? Hey, um, wonderful uh, uh, news out of Guantanamo Bay. You know, everyone's always talking about, you know, what should we do with these prisoners in Guantanamo Bay? They haven't even been tried for heaven's sakes. You know what? You know, and everyone's like, they're probably living a horrible life. Well, not one of them. Mohammed Rahim al-Afghani, he's... He's not having a bad life. He's actually looking for love on Match.com. According to his lawyer, Carlos Warner, who monitors Al-Afghani's profile and has been doing it since 2012, 
His lawyer, Warner, says that he gets people daily, profiles sent to him daily from women that are interested. Can you just imagine what his profile reads like? Five foot ten, freedom fighter, terrorist. I like guns. I like guns. I like long walks on the beach. I can. I love just staring at sunsets from my cell. I love cuddling at night and watching reruns of Friends. I love sharpening my knife. I have a Shiv collection. <laughs> yes, Muhammad Rahim al-Afghani. If you're looking for love, you might be looking in all the wrong places because there's a couple guys down at Guantanamo Bay. Sure, they're detained, but man, they're ready to mingle, folks. They got fire in their bones. You know, it's For hard. more reason than one. <laughs> it's true. Oh, man. They'll show you a good time, and someday they'll take you back home. To Iran. <laughs> the attorney says he gets emails every day from matches. In fact, a lot of the women come from the Caribbean. There's something about it. He's hot. Actually, apparently, uh, when Match.com found out, <laughs> when they found out that a terrorist was using their system, they just thought, oh, we got to do something about that. And they just shut her down. Shut her down! Man, can you imagine the old bait and switch? Like you thought, you thought everybody on line dating was just a bunch of scammers. Yeah, they are. Not everybody. Some of them are actually terrorists. Yeah, there's there's catfishing, and then there's yeah this, and then there's terrorist activities. So be careful out there. If some of you have been writing. Somebody from Guantanamo Bay, and his tagline reads, detained but ready to mingle. You might want to think twice. Unless, of course, you're (laughs) anti-American. Anyway, good luck to you, Muhammad Rahim al-Afghani. May all your dreams come true. (laughs) There it is. It's happening, my friend. Someday you'll be free to date. And then Match.com will... Make your wildest dreams come true. Hopefully not. Let's take uh, let's. Oh, we can't take a break. We've got to go and do a week in review with our good friend Kathy Aiken. Kathy. Good morning, everyone. The second GOP presidential debate is in the books and a huge night for CNN on Wednesday, which had its most viewers in history. Most polls show Donald Trump won big with Carly Fiorina in second. One of the best moments came when Fiorina was asked about Trump's recent comments about her face. You know, it's interesting to me. Mr. Trump said that he heard Mr. Bush very clearly and what Mr. Bush said. I think women all over this country heard very clearly what Mr. Trump said. Jeb Bush stood next to Trump, and the two had several exchanges Wednesday night. Or for anybody on this this stage. I was a businessman. I got along with Clinton. I got along with everybody. That was my job, to get along with people. But the simple fact is... Excuse me. One second. No. I didn't want to... The simple fact is, Donald, you cannot take... More energy tonight. I like that. 
Look, I was asked the question. The third debate is scheduled for October 28th. Before the debate, a New York Times CBS poll showed Ben Carson gaining ground on Trump. Carson has 23 percent of Republican support to Trump's 27 percent. Since the last poll, Carson has seen an increase of 17 points, while Trump has gained just three. In that same poll, Bernie Sanders leads Hillary Clinton in New Hampshire 52 to 30 percent and leads in Iowa as well 43 to 33 percent. Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell has come up with what he calls Plan B to block President Obama's Iran nuclear deal. McConnell's plan says before sanctions on Iran can be lifted, four Americans jailed there must be released, and they must also recognize the right of Israel to exist. Intelligence analysts have reportedly given investigators documents they say prove senior military officers manipulated reports exaggerating progress in the war against ISIS. The Pentagon's inspector general is looking into the accusations. Eighteen people have died in flash flooding in southern Utah. The victims in Hilldale, Utah, were all mothers and young children in a van and SUV that was swept away. Here's Hilldale Assistant Fire Chief Kevin Barlow. Very dangerous, very treacherous. The banks are caving off. A more significant flood than we've had for quite some time. Obviously, it took them off guard. They were well back from where the flood channel usually is. Seven of the victims were hiking in a slot canyon in Zions National Park when the wall of water swept through. It's pretty much like one of our worst nightmares. So literally, as soon as the rain started coming, um, people started to you know, worry about, about the flash flooding in the area. Zion Park Ranger Allie Baltris. Search and rescue teams are looking for two people still missing, one in Hilldale, the other a hiker in the park. A tsunami watch was in effect in Hawaii and parts of the California coast yesterday after a magnitude 8.3 earthquake hit the coast of central Chile. The quake has killed eight people and injured dozens more. One million people have been forced to leave their homes. California Governor Jerry Brown declared a state of emergency after hundreds of homes were destroyed in two fast-moving fires in the northern part of the state. Three people have died as a result of the blazes, which are still not under control. Meanwhile, according to a study from the University of Arizona, the Sierra Nevada snowpack is estimated to be at its lowest level in more than 500 years. When it melts, it gives California nearly one-third of its water every year. Three people died after a float plane in Anchorage, Alaska crashed during takeoff on Tuesday. Seven other people on board were injured, some of them critically. Kim Davis, the Kentucky County clerk who was jailed for not issuing same-sex marriage licenses, returned to work Monday. Davis said she would not stop her deputies from issuing them. I want the whole world to know, be no mistake about it, that if my deputy clerks, who do not have my authorization or the authority, they don't have my authority to issue any license whatsoever. I love my deputy clerks and I hate that they have been caught in the middle. If any of them feels that they must issue an unauthorized license to avoid being thrown in jail, I understand their tough choice and I will take no action against them. However, any unauthorized license that they issue will not have my name, my title, or my authority on it. Davis said she could not add her name to the licenses because she believes it conflicts with God's definition of marriage. An instructor from Delta State University who allegedly shot and killed his girlfriend and another professor on campus Monday died of a self-inflicted gunshot wound. 45-year-old Shannon Lamb reportedly killed his live-in girlfriend, 41-year-old Amy Prentice, at their home, then drove to the university and shot 39-year-old assistant professor Ethan Schmidt. He pulled off on the side of the road exited his vehicle and went into a wooded area 
Uh, there was one gunshot that was heard. That was Cleveland, Mississippi Police Chief Charles Bingham. Authorities believe the shootings may have been related to a possible love triangle. The shooting sent the entire campus on lockdown but was lifted late Monday night. A bus headed towards Fur High School in Houston on Tuesday morning plunged off a freeway killing two students and injuring four others. No details of the severity of the injured have been released. With the Week in Review, I'm Kathy Aiken. Thank you, Kathy. Appreciate it. And uh, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we'll be going to Rod Gustafson from ParentPreviews.com. He's a film critic specializing in reviewing movies and media from a parent's perspective. We're going to be reviewing the movies Maze Runner and Everest. Uh, Maze Runner Scorch Trials. Two great flicks out. We'll uh, find out, you know, what we should be watching out for. Stick with us. We'll be back in a minute. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Joining us on the phone, Rod Gustafson, our good friend from ParentPreviews.com, film critic critic extraordinaire, and today he has got a load of movies to go over with us. Rod, welcome to the show, my friend. Well, thank you, Matt. Good to be here. Great to have you. Now, by the way, there has been an absolute, what, uh, dearth of any movies released in the last... Almost three, almost three weeks, month or so. So yeah. now they're all happening now. Yeah, they finally are. I mean, we're a, the end of August, beginning of September. Hollywood sees that as a time where kids are going back to school, and you know, so the the family movies especially just disappear for a few weeks while everybody gets settled back into school, and now they will start appearing again. Yay! Uh, so, what movies are we going to review today? Well, let's start with is kind of a tough choice. Let's start with Everest. I um I think Everest is going to be a movie that uh, many people are going to be interested in. And maybe, well, maybe I'm wrong about that because I'm old. I remember <laughs> the story so very clearly back yeah. in 1996 when we had that tragedy on Mount Everest where we had eight people die yeah. during blizzard who were trying to ascend the mountain and so this week we have a movie that has come out that is about that matt this is an amazing movie uh it is first of all wear a jacket or take a jacket <laughs> to the theater with you i saw it they did my screening in imax and so you're surrounded by snow it's, it's just like being in canada oh wow <laughs> you really start feeling the you know the wind and the cold and this movie is interesting because, and I never really put this together, but prior to about the middle 1980s, if you, if, if you climbed Mount Everest, you were a professional, and I'm not sure quite what that meant, but you were a serious yeah. professional explorer. Right. You were just a casual guy who's like, oh, yeah, I'm going to go climb a mountain. But then in, 19, in the middle 1980s, there were a couple of companies that started up that came up with the idea of, let's run Everest-like, you know how you tour Europe, mm-hmm. you know, 10 countries in 10 days? Well, let's apply the same mentality to Everest. We, we bring people here, we, we, we put up their tent for them, we feed them three meals a day, and we guide them up to the top of, mountain, of the mountain, and we guide them back down. Well, 
Of course, it's not easy as it appears. And since that has been happening, there have been many lives lost on Everest. And so this movie presents this in, and I was impressed, in quite an unbiased way, Hmm. but still presents this as a major talking point as far as, should we really be doing this? Is this opening um, a very serious uh, mountain climbing experience up to people who really are not physically prepared to do this. Yeah, the, and the cast, one of the things I saw in the trailer, the cast, it's a great cast. It really is. It really is. We've got so many well-known names in this movie, like uh, Jake Gyllenhaal, for instance, and uh, it, it, it the list goes on and on, and many of them, that's what really makes this work so well is that it is such a good cast, and it's a huge cast. In fact, you have a hard time trying to keep track of people. Maybe that would be the only thing I would say about this film. I almost wish it was a little bit more of a miniseries mm. or something, because it's a lot of characters get to get to know in one film. But uh, it really, it, it, the, the cast presents absolutely stellar performances. They really do. What do you think about our kids seeing it and, and, and seeing it as a family? How do you see it that way? You know, this one I think would be a, a good choice for teens and adults, but definitely, you know, I, I, I often find I'm saying this, heed the PG-13 rating. Um, it, this is one where I would say 13 and over is the appropriate ages. Hmm. Now, the good news is no sexual content. We're too busy climbing the mountain. That's <laughs> good. <laughs> even the profanities are relatively few. I, You know, we heard maybe three or four, and for the most part, they're fairly minor hmm. words in it. And uh, but uh, as far as violence goes, we gave violence even that it's a B minus. But for a younger child, these characters obviously are in frequent peril. And the makeup. Wow, the makeup just blew me away. But as you see them getting frostbite on their faces and on their hands and limbs and, uh, you know, and obviously some of these people are dying as well and they're going to die. It's a very moving film. So although it's not scoring all that strongly in a lot of our content areas that are of concern for younger children, this could, this probably would be too much. Mm. No, I'm excited to see it too. Um, so overall, it's it's what grade did you give it overall? A minus on this one. A minus. Uh, yeah, we really enjoyed it. That's great. And, uh, and this is one movie where often I say to people, you know, wait for the video. If you're really interested in this one, go find it on the biggest screen that you can. Yeah. Because really comes across well. And take a jacket, of course. And take a jacket. <laughs> now, ta- right. Talk to us about Maze Runner, Scorch Trials. This is the one that the young people are going to be interested in. The first Maze Runner movie came out one year ago. Right. And they've been 12 months now to see the next one. Now, I know so many young people, that whether it's the Maze Runner books or the Hunger Game books or the, um, oh, I, I've forgotten the name. It starts with an I. There's another series as well. Uh, that is. Don't ask oh, me. It'll come back to me if yeah. I, I quit <laughs> thinking about it. I know many young people right now are listening to me and they're screaming it out at the radio they're thinking what a dummy <laughs> but anyhow all of these i know so many young people have read the books and i keep on telling them don't tell me what's going to happen don't ruin the movie for me so this is number two in the maze runner series and um you know I, the maze runner is very interesting I, it, these are well-made movies and it's about a group of young people who live in a post-apocalyptic world in the first movie they're trapped in this area that's called the glade it's a mm. lush 
green area, but it's walled in with these huge cement walls. And beyond the walls are a maze. They figure out how to get out of the maze. They get picked up in a helicopter. Now in this movie, the helicopter lands and they're delivered to this, what looks like a research facility. Um, And things seem so much better. They're getting fed. They've got nice beds to sleep in. But Thomas, who is really our protagonist in this movie, he is convinced that there is still something up. And of course there is. And they discover what they're really there for. And I'm not going to give that away. Uh But the group of young people, they escape, and then they're out into what's called the Scorch, which looks, it's New York City, it's Manhattan, but the the sun, something has happened to the sun, and the whole world is turned into basically a desert. And so they start trekking over into, over into the mountains to try and find other people that are supposedly there who will help and protect them. And of course, things just go wrong <laughs> one after another. The biggest issue in this movie is going to be violence um, that is very similar to the violence in the first Maze Runner movie. Uh, we don't have a review up for this yet because we didn't get a pre-screening. I had to go see it last night, but the review will be up in a couple of hours. But parents, big issue on this one is violence. There's no sexual content. And uh, profanities, again, relatively few compared to what we see in many other movies. We have a lot of, of scatological terms. And if you don't know what that is, look it up in your dictionary. <laughs> But it's that four-letter it's that four-letter word that's very popular, and so we hear that one a lot in this film. But um, otherwise, though, pretty solid movie. This one's going to be coming in at a B minus, like the last Maze Runner movie. You know, definitely not for young children, but I think teens are really going to like it. Oh no, yeah, they're already talking about it at my house. Yeah, and you know, Matt. In all fairness to this movie, too, there are um, there are some great talking points again that come up because these these young people find themselves in a situation where um, they are being told if they sacrifice themselves they could save the world and you can tell that there's a mistrust there they're not sure if they really believe that and at the same time do they want to sacrifice themselves? Is there some other way to save the world? Or are are they being selfish by not doing that? There's a lot of interesting things that come into this. And there's some good moments of teamwork and that type of thing, mm. too. So there are some positive aspects to this movie. But the violence is, you know, it's, it's PG-13 yeah. violence. There are some fairly violent scenes in this film. So Maze Runner, Scorch Trials, and Everest. Um, Really quickly, in about 20 seconds, what uh, what movies are coming out on DVD we should be watching for? I'm only going to talk about one, Cinderella. I think this may be the best family film that releases in 2015. Obviously, the year isn't over yet, but straight A grade on this movie. It's out on video. And parents, if you think, oh, I've seen Cinderella before, this film did such a great um, reworking of that old story. Mm. I really, really enjoyed it. Good stuff. Rod Gustafson, so appreciate you and the great work you're doing there at parentpreviews.com. Everybody, go check out that website uh, and look up these movies and, and sit down with your kids and think about what you need to be talking about after the movies so it can become a whole experience. Well, we appreciate you. We'll take a break. When we come back, we'll have some of our producers in studio. They're going to see if they can teach me a thing or two. Stick with us. This is The Matt Townsend Show. I always swore to you I'd never fall apart. 
person sounds sad. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. This is uh, the great segment where we bring in the producers, the producers of the Matt Townsend Show, and they teach me, they educate me. Why are we playing this song, of all songs, Ben? He was so- trying to suppress a laugh, I could see there. He's got this huge smile on his face, and he's snickering. I have no idea. Who, who sings this song? I don't know. He said that it was millennial. This is millennial this music. This is millennial music. This is millennial this music. This is the song that millennials enjoy. Indeed. So if you're out there and you're like, man, those millennials are depressed. Or if you're bobbing your head, you're like, oh, no. Then you might be a millennial. I'm a millennial. <laughs> Joining us in studio, Liz Miller, Michael Pond, two of our great producers that, that really work so hard behind the scenes of the show here. And uh, when Mike's on parole, he's here regularly. Yeah, so. it's a mandatory community service, and I love to be here. Great well, to be here, Well, and you're very welcome. Lizzie, where, where are we going to start? I know you like to try to trick me sometimes, quiz me sometimes, and educate me. I do. I like to do all those things, and usually about things that I don't even know about. Good. That's the best kind. So today we're going to be talking about this question. Um, there's a Vsauce video on it, actually. And a Vsauce? Vsauce. Just talk, talk normal. It's Vsauce, Velocity Sauce. That is a, that's a YouTuber. It is a YouTuber, And yeah. he makes really great videos like Why Do We Kiss? Yeah. Stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, the, the questions of the soul. Uh-huh. He, he does <laughs> My that. soul's never asked that, but the question <laughs> of some dark soul. Of, of a soul. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Everyone matters. And what, what was the Vsauce question or so, issue? The question he was talking about was, will we ever run out of music or songs? Huh. Like, is like, there going to be a day that that melody is going to be used by someone else? That is such a great question because it already seems like we kind of have. Yeah. You know what I mean? Some songs sound like the same. There's some really common melodies that, that are have been used over and over again in the last 40, 50 So we years. might run out of melodies. Mm-hmm. But will we ever run out of music? I mean, what is yeah, music, though, at that great, point, honestly? That's a great question. It is. It is a good question. He looks at it and he kind of... He mentioned somebody who does like a whole lot of math, basically, and they're right. looking at how technology can recognize just different tones and how we can't always recognize the difference. Yeah. And so um, what we can compress then in a five-minute song on a CD, he looks at that. And if we have a five-minute long audio clip, the number for how many like variations we can have is 63 million digits long. Wow. So, in like, binary. In, in Huge, binary. Huge, yeah. But to put that into perspective, like the number of atoms that make up the earth is a number that's 50 digits long. So we can have more music. Yeah. Then we could have atoms. Yes. <laughs> in theory. I mean, then you get to ans- answer the question, uh, what constitutes the same? Like what would right. be the same song and how similar? And then it gets really philosophical. There, well, there's all of these. <laughs> there's these songs now where you, someone might put a song out and then um, I can't uh, – Avicii. Is a, is one of the people that would take the song and then turn it into something else, kind of remix it and remix it mm-hmm. and make it actually kind of better in a way or different in a way. So, is that the same song? Yeah, I mean he's That's using a lot of the different same beats, songs, yeah. chords, things like that. But is that the same song? No. But then you have the question: Is the song just musical components? Because then you have lyrics. Then there's lyrics, yeah. and, and half of them are just messed up. <laughs> yes, exactly. Actually, we wanted to talk to you about that yeah. today. Okay, good. So we have a little quiz for you. Okay. I've looked at some of the uh, most popular songs right now. So we've got stuff like I Can't Feel My Face, mm. The Hills, What Do You Mean, 
Watch me, cheerleader. I mean, you can see what's on the minds of the youth. Actually, the, I can't. Uh... <laughs> Is that? I don't understand. I mean, I can't film my face. Right by it's the weekend. An, yeah. I think it's post-dental yeah. visit, personally. Oh, but, is that what that is? Yeah. yeah. We're actually going to look at the lyrics, So, okay. Okay. but you have to fill in the lyrics Okay, this is easy. Okay, so I'm going to read them off to you, and I'm going to leave out a word, Okay. and you go ahead and fill it in, right? right? Yeah. Okay. I, but, well, I'll do it fast, because I want to just go with my flow. Okay. Okay, okay here we go. <laughs> yeah. And I know she'll be the blank of me. She'll be the death of me. Hey, nice job. Is that right? Yeah, that's completely right. At least we'll both be blank. Uh, Numb. And she'll always get the blank of me. Credit card. <laughs> Close. Close. The best of me. But oh, I, I feel like, I mean, I guess it depends I could... on your priorities. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's just I could be the best is. of you. Okay. <laughs> Can I try? Yeah. The blank is blank to blank. Uh, oh, yeah. That's easy. The cow is meat to eat. Oh, no. It's, uh, the worst is yet to come. Ah. Close, which close. Not would even be the close. worst for the cow, so that's fine. Yeah, I wasn't even close on that, but I am hungry. <laughs> These are fun. I could be a lyricist. Yeah, I think so. Maybe we should try a song Ooh. right now. Yeah. yeah, let's do it. What's that really common? Yeah, I think we have a video clip of it. These four chords. So there's four chords. Okay. That have been used over and over and over again oh, let's on hear several them. different cool. songs. It's uh, clip ten. Recognize this? Yeah, yeah, that's done stuff. Oh, yeah. Play. See, my son can do this. He plays this and then... And this is like the... See, you weren't thinking that song. But this can then morph, right? Another song. Is it the Black Eyed Peas? Forever young. Forever young. This was back in the day. Three songs we've heard so far, right? Yep. Plus the original chord. Mm-hmm. There's four songs, same chords. How many songs uh, do we end up going to? It's 40 different songs on the full thing. Fifth song right there. 40 different songs use this chord. Popular songs. It's crazy. But see, six right there. Yeah. They end with, uh, can you feel the love tonight, which just feels moving. Well, there you go. <laughs> see, so now we're into Broadway songs. <laughs> this is great. It covers every genre. But see, that, I guess, is the point that we'll probably never run out. Probably not. I mean, you, you'll, you, we will repeat the chords. You have to because there's only so many chords, right? That sound good, you know, to, to human ears, but... Yeah. yeah, we could potentially but, keep making up different lyrics. And two, the reality is we none of us have even listened to a billionth of the songs available. Mm-hmm. So they're all new to us. Yeah, that's true. Actually, um, this guy he was looking at. So if you have a song is considered eight notes. I think there was actually a court case that determined this. Oh, really? And so it's official, guys. So a song, anything that's seven notes is not a song. Not a it's song. a jingle. It is. It's a little hum. <laughs> okay. It's, yeah. it's probably elevator music. Yeah, yeah. Um, but if you listen to that, it would take like oh, 128 years or something to listen straight through. To every song? It's not not every song like in the universe, but to listen to about, oh, what was it? It was like 48 million songs. Take you just like <laughs> one after the other. It just, it would take forever. Yeah. Well, and why, I mean, by the way, you'd be dead. 
Well, and also, I was just thinking that oh, years. <laughs> there's just about the obvious. five million songs on Spotify that have never been listened to before. Oh, those poor songs. There's, there's a website you can go to. I can't remember the name right now, but That's you can click sad. and listen to a song yeah. that no one else has listened to through Spotify. Well, then it's not on the website anymore, is it? No, it's on. Well, well it Oh, yeah, be. then it goes off of that website, <laughs> right. So, so if you want to get rid of the songs that nobody has listened to, go listen to them on Spotify. Make them feel <laughs> and warm and fuzzy. <laughs> Yeah, only one person listened to you. You're done. Do you know how many songs there are on iTunes? Oh, I did. Actually, we have a clip of that as well. That one's, I think, seven. He goes through, explains iTunes, and I feel like it's like 40-something million. Man, that's quite a lot. That is so much music. Mm -hmm. My son has about 12 on iTunes. That's See, that's, that's where it gets exciting is when your son is playing the music, then it's like all good. All of it is good. We should make a song and put it on iTunes. Yeah, like right now. You know, I wish we had time. We can, I, can, I can hum the <laughs> How chords. How much time do we have? Um, oh, not much. We have we go. 20 seconds. Oh. You, like a throw a lyric at us. Dum, 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 da, da, dum. Dum, dum, da, da, dum. Dum, dum, da, da, dum. Oh, my gosh. Oh, that was hard to do. I have a cold. You have Do you know how hard it is to hit that? That is unbelievable. <laughs> Woo! Shoot, man. Yeah. Have you heard of my R-E-S-P-E-C-T song? No. The, I made I it up. I was in the break room one time, and I was microwaving something. You just kind of really? came up behind yeah. me. Well, I saw the back of Matt. I didn't know it was him until- That was me. Oh. I got you know. another one coming out tomorrow called Confidence, where I spell it out. But it's so long, <laughs> I can't do it in one breath. <laughs> anyway, it's really good. Hey, guys, Thanks. That was a great lesson. Next time, we really do need to lay down some beats together. Yeah. Lay down some beats. That's a very hip phrase. Indeed. Michael Pond, Liz Miller, thanks for- Thank you, Matt. And thanks, thanks. for being producers and being the, the key behind the scenes. My parole officer makes me, but I'm That's glad great. To be and I'm anyway. happy that you're serving your time to this county. We'll take a break, my friends. When we come back, we'll go visit our buddies at BYU Sports Nation. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, normally we'd be shooting down to uh, BYU Sports Nation today. Uh, they they were caught up. They were caught up in a technical issue. So we're not going to be able to go see them. But uh, remember, tomorrow is the great game. The great game, BYU versus UCLA. You're going to want to tune in and uh, watch that game. I do believe it will be on BYU... Radio, is that true, Terry? According to the all-important whiteboard out in the hallway, yes. 7.30 is when the coverage begins. 7.30 p.m. I believe that would be a pregame sort of situation. Is that 7.30 Western? It'd be PC Mountain Pacific? Time. Okay, so 6. Which means 9.30 Eastern, 8.30 Central, 6.30 Pacific, mm. or if you're you know elsewhere, I don't know what to say. It's good. Figure it out. <clears throat> That'll be great. Tune into that. That will be the battle of the rookie freshmen, right? Fresh rookies, freshman rookies. Yes. One's 21, yeah. 22. He just had his birthday, right? Uh-huh. So he's 22. 22. The other one's like 18. And they're both on fuego. 
So they both come off some great things. Do you think that matters? One's twenty two. One's yes. One year removed from high school. Yes. The other one's three years removed. I think it does matter, but I don't think it matter. I don't think it necessarily matters on the field to de- tomorrow. Okay. Because I mean maturity. Yeah. Decision making. Yeah, for sure. It matters. Outlook on life. Outlook on life. Where you spend your millions when you go pro. Is he going to panic in the pocket? Well, yeah. That was a football term. He'll panic in the pocket. Did you see my Chiefs just totally destroy themselves last (sighs) night? Sorry. The Chiefs I love, and they did destroy them themselves. And the Broncos honestly destroyed them. 24 seconds left. They fumble. They they forced a fumble. The Broncos Broncos forced forced or... The Chiefs just dropped the football. So this, no one cares. Well, somebody's hand whacked the ball. I am having an emotional moment, and I'm moving on. I love the Chiefs, and I love the Broncos. That was my favorite game to watch because I love both teams. There you go. But uh, sad. Sad but true. Hey, did you hear this great uh, – we're going to give you a lot of um, stories about police intervention one way or another. First, we'll just start at the DMV. Hmm. And I want you to think about this. Okay, so a Bideford, England, Toy Story fanatic has officially changed his name to Buzz Lightyear, okay? Cool name. He used to have the crazy, weird name of Sam Stevens. That was his birth name. That's kind of boring. Yeah. So if you're Sam Stevens, boring. Yeah. Or you could be... Buzz Lightyear. Buzz Lightyear. Infinity and beyond! (laughs) There you go. So uh, Mr. Lightyear, 26 years old. Buzz to his friends. Buzz to his friends. Uh, he decided to change his name. Then he wanted to go in and get his driver's license so that it read Buzz Lightyear. Which would be awesome. Well, it seems like if your name is Buzz and your last name's Lightyear, it should be on your driver's license. Well, he tried to do that, but in the end, the DMV refused to issue a license, fearing that it would bring the agency into disrepute. I could only imagine what like the conversation was between them. I actually have a clip of what I think it'd be like. Is this a clip of your imagination of what it would be, or is this a clip of what actually took place? A mix of both. Okay. You are a sad, strange little man, and you have my pity. So that is Buzz saying that. Is he talking to the DMV? When the DMV refused his license, this is what Sam Stevens, a.k.a. Buzz Lightyear, said to the DMV. Sad, strange little man, and you have my pity. It sounds like somebody pushed that button on Buzz's chest. Pulled the string? Yeah. yeah. And he's talking. Yeah. My boy has a toy just like that, and he said, oh. he doesn't say that. That's kind of, that would be a cool thing to have on a kid's toy, though. You are a sad, strange little <laughs> man. Uh, but in a weird way, if you change your name to Buzz Lightyear, aren't you the sad, strange little man? The fact that he was dressed up in the Buzz Lightyear costume and the photograph that I saw. That would be the sad part, but the sad part is once those wings are out. Yes, he can fly. How could you even do the driver's test? That's correct. How would you fit in the car? I mean, can't yeah. you just see the guy that's doing the test with him is like ducking under his wing the whole time? <laughs> that in and of itself would make you would you turn to test. check your blind spot and smack the guy in the head with your wing. <laughs> now it is interesting. The DMV there was worried about their reputation, right? Because they're in the European Union, therefore they're recognized throughout the entire Union. And if you go to France, they pull you over and they see that an England DMV had a licensed Buzz Lightyear. That somehow that would reflect badly on the DMV. I don't now, see in, how. Now, in this country, 
the DMV doesn't have to worry about their reputation because right. everyone kind of has a negative thought about yeah, them. Yeah, they anyways. already have a bad reputation. Yeah, so no big deal. Buzz Lightyear in the U.S., that's going to happen. Not a big deal. <laughs> well, a lot of places in Europe, they have a list of names that you can name your child. So you can't name your children weird things like here. That's sad. It's sad. How on earth can you destroy your child's life if you can't name them embarrassing things? Sad. Hey, here's another story. Police story find the police find thousands of swords and machetes and fake bodies in a Florida woman's home. Deputies, by the way, amazingly, Florida of all places. <laughs> Go figure. Florida uh, deputies in Florida were serving an arrest warrant at a woman's home, and what they found was a crazy scene straight out of a horror movie. Hernando County Sheriff's Office said that when the deputies entered the home of Nicole Dykema, I guess that's how you say it. I believe so. 47 years old, she lunged at them with a large sword and almost hit an officer. Wow. That was intense. No, that was a lunge. Oh, wow. That's what happens when Someone you work Someone pulled out. a hammy there. That's why I don't do my lunges. A deputy deployed a beanbag round from less than a lethal shot from a less than lethal shotgun at uh, at Dykema, and it had no effect on her. Boy, which is a no, big deal. That's she, a beanbag. The, the pictures I saw, relatively small woman. So she took a beanbag round from a you know shotgun. What? That woman can take a beanbag. Apparently. She fled into her bedroom, then ran back out armed with an unknown amount of swords. Several. I mean, again, a lot of swords, that's just almost actually less lethal, right? Because there's just too many swords. Yeah. There's, yeah. You only got two hands. You have two hands. If you have four or five swords, you're five fumbling swords, around. two hands. Yeah, understood, yeah. yeah. It's a problem. She, so she comes out. An officer again deployed the less than lethal shotgun, and she continued to advance. So they shot her again with a beanbag. This time hit her in the abdomen. Bink. And the thigh. Bink. Dykema failed to show officers that she wasn't carrying weapons. I mean, how could she not? She had a dozen or so or whatever she had. She turned to retreat back into the house and a deputy tased her. (laughs) Which, by the way, when you're electrocuted and you're holding a lot of metal swords. Not a good mix. Twice as painful. Yes. But give the number. How many swords did they find in the house? 3,500 swords and machetes. That's a lot of swords. Yeah. Kind of, maybe maybe overdoing it there. How many swords bit. does one woman need? Mm, that is a question. I, uh, I, I've talked about it before. There's a channel, a shopping channel on the weekends that shows up on my satellite TV service. Yeah. It's the Knife Show. Oh, yeah, that's right. They sell knives. They that's sell weird. samurai swords. You can get for about like $120 about 100 different knives and three samurai swords because they always kick in a samurai sword. Yeah. And the whole point is you can go to a, like a swap meet or a state fair and sell them for about five bucks a piece. You pay about a dollar fifty a piece, you make profit. Bada boom, bada bing. But they have all these different kinds of knives, and you, that's where you get this kind of stuff. Well, apparently she's addicted. She just didn't stop. Hey, um, if you were going to go to a phone store in the middle of the night and break in, what would you steal? At a, a cell phone, or yeah. probably cell phones. Yeah. Would you still would you steal the cell phones that are attached to the cables uh, in the displays? Um, no, I would look for the phones in boxes because the ones on the displays, I'd need some way to cut the cable to get it to right. steal it. And they're all fake. Mm. Uh, so apparently, a North Columbus, Ohio Verizon store was the victim of a break-in early Wednesday morning. Police said one or more people used a large rock to break through the glass. They gained entry in the back door. 
Once inside, they cut or ripped the phones from the displays, and they were gone. Excellent. Only to find out when they were gone that the phones were not real. Whoops. They were all display phones. Oh, come on. (laughs) That's probably what they thought. That's what they said. And they're like, call me, Jimmy. Call me on the phone. Oh, come on. And they were so mad. Whoops. And uh, so it's going to be easy to find them because these are the two guys calling on a phone with a cable attached to it that doesn't work. The real phones, by the way, are all locked in the vault every night. That's where the money is. There you go. That's the money. So don't steal the display phone. Don't steal the display phones. Well, that's uh, that's it. Let's. We always like to wrap up with a great hero story. Have we got a great one for you today, man? Holy cow! Twenty-two billion dollar founder, the ra- the founder of the twenty-two billion dollar company Renaissance Technologies, Jim Simmons. He uh, he's making a difference here. Jim Simmons was a mathematician and a cryptographer who realized. The complex math he used to break codes could help explain patterns in the world of finance. Billions of dollars later, he worked to support the next generation of math teachers and scholars. Simmons, the founder of Renaissance Technology, which is worth $22 billion, has been channeling money to deserving math and science teachers through his philanthropic organization, Math for America. Uh, Simon says, oh, his name is Simons. I've been calling him Simmons. Simons said his organization gives an extra $15,000 a year to 800 math and science teachers in New York City. Teachers in America are poorly paid relative to their peers elsewhere in the advanced world. By next year, Simons is hoping to reach 1,000 teachers or 10% of the math and science teachers in New York public schools. Simons started Math for America nearly 20 years ago with his wife, Marilyn Simons, he left Renaissance Technology six years ago to work full-time for the foundation. One guy, sure he's rich, but he's changing the lives of uh, students and math teachers. He's our Townsend's Hero of the Day. Thank you so much, Jim Simons, for showing us that, you know, you can give back. Folks, that's the show. We uh, love doing it. We love being here with you. We can't do it if you're not listening. We'll be back Monday through Friday. 9 to noon Eastern time. Stick with us. And until then, take care of each other, take care of yourself, and make it a great life.